on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Matt and Nick will hardy har har their way through the pirate-filled episode of The Mandalorian, which once again, they predicted to near perfection. Speaking of predictions, they'll also use some old leak Mando footage to speculate what may go down this week for our helmet-wearing friends. After that, they'll get sad with the rest of you as they break down the ESB-like Bad Batch Season 2 finale. They'll also get to a new Ahsoka rumor report about red lightsabers and who is wielding them, as well as an Andor rumor that will get Kino Loy fans in a tizzy. Of course, the show will end with the question of the week and the latest round of Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie! Everybody, welcome back to my new episode of Evening Edition. I know people are still getting used to the show changing time. It's all right, but today the award for best fan goes to Nova Toymation and Linda Matsumoto. Welcome, you two. Thanks for joining in. Um, you know. Making the, making the journey from our earlier live stream to the late one. We appreciate you and we speak your name. So how's it going, everybody? Boy, do we have some fun stuff to talk about this week. We know a large contingent of the Fandalorians are out there on their planes, on their boats, on their jet skis, making their way to Star Wars Celebration London. So uh, sadly, we're probably not going to be joined by as many friends as usual. Uh, but that's all right. They'll tune in later, at least tell us they will, and pretend that they actually support us. We, we have a lot of those types of fans where they, they, they're like, yeah, you guys are great. And then uh, they don't really tune in or support or share or do anything. But, but we appreciate that. That's the type of fan base we want. We don't want any handouts. Although if you do want to tip us, there's a tip link in this video's description now. Why not? Uh, bring in those pennies, those dimes, those nickels. You never know. Sal Gubernali loves himself some dimes. All right, dude. Well, um, today is a special day. The little one, my Padawan, Charlie Ray, has turned seven. So I'm going to try my best to, to get my ass off this desk quicker than usual. But you never know. I mean, we, we got some good stuff to talk Mandalorian. Boy, we got to put that Bad Batch to bed. And, and I think it actually checked a lot of boxes Nick and I were looking for in terms of some actual stakes. We got an actual cliffhanger, Nick. I know you and I were kind of teasing that. Like, will they actually leave the season in disarray? And sure as shit, they did. Yeah. Very ESB style end to the Bad Batch season two. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, we're going to revisit some Mandalorian season three leaked footage that we talked about many moons ago because I think it's going to be important for tomorrow's episode. And then we've got some new leaks and rumors for Ahsoka and Andor. So action packed. Don't forget the fan segment to close it all out. And if you want to do it live, you can always join us 5P. That's right. 5P East YouTube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. All right. 
So, Nick, you know, usually we do a little pop culture talk, but I, I got to keep things moving today. I, I didn't get to see Dungeons and Dragons, which was the new release last week. Maybe I'll do a combo this week with Super Mario Brothers and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but we do have a little tidbit for some people out there. You, you collector types. Um, this just popped up today. And, you know, obviously me being a, a former Funko fanatic, it, it kind of caught my my radar. I'm also into games these days, like like card games, deck games. Exploding Kittens is a is a recurring game we seem to be playing with the neighbors these days. But Nick, it appears today and soon to be released, there's going to be a new Star Wars card game from Funko. All right, I got it up on the screen right now. It's called Star Wars Rivals. It's a card game slash collectible expandable game. So, you know, Funko trying to play on us collector hearts here. You know what I mean? Uh, but it looks like, it, Nick, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with a lot of the Funko lines outside of the Funko Pops. But it looks like Rivals is going to kind of use these Funko mystery minis as, I don't know, collectible pieces that are also a part of the game. You get card packs and, and you know, it's a, it's a two-person game. Drop in, it looks like, May the 4th exclusively at Walmart. Uh, there's going to be a premiere set that retails for 20 bucks, ages seven plus. So, I mean, this is something I'm considering for the little one. And I just, you know, a little, little Star Wars game. And I, I don't think it's going to be as advanced and as in-depth as, as Nick's Dungeons and Dragons. But you never know with these with these card games. Uh, they also announce some character booster packs, which will be sold separately for five bucks a piece. Uh, so like I said, I don't, I don't know. It, it could be interesting here. I wish they, they delve more into the game. You know what I mean, Nick? But uh, I mean, the little Funko characters look cool. I just don't know if the game <laughs> kind of backs up getting more fucking Funko things in the house. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. They, like you had just finished your obsession with that and you were I getting know. rid of them. I know. <laughs> yeah, I just... I, I know there's a new Star Wars game coming out this year, and it's not this, but this one, like I said, maybe if you got some littler Padawans running around the house, uh, this could be a nice little little two-person game to try and control the galaxy. Because I think, I think it's Star Wars Shatterpoint is possibly the big, like card game, board game, desktop game coming out this year. Nick, I don't know if you can verify that. Let's see. Um, yes, it is a. Is it out now? Uh, it's or a, ta- is it it's a out? tabletop game, from what I can see, and I don't. I'm not sure. Let me see if it's out right now. Because uh, I know they just put out some promo. It's going to be at Celebration. It made it sound like this is going to be one of the first public um, demos, but I could be speaking out of my ass. Yeah. So release date is June of this year. So June okay. 2023. Right. So it's not out yet, but it is a. It looks like it's a tabletop game. That has like minis involved and and different little aspects of of like Star Wars, com like battlefield combat. It almost does kind of look like a like a D and D style like okay uh, yeah because like I know they game. I know there's a there's an existing Star Wars game that kind of has figurines and cards. I, it, it's it's in the same line as other Disney franchises. Like there you know there may be a Disney version of it. There's a Star Wars version of it. But, uh, yeah, so, all right, so Shatterpoint, I'm definitely going to keep my eyes on, because I've I've really gotten into tabletop gaming these past few years, I think because of the pandemic and, you know, little kids and and neighbors I actually enjoy. It's been nice to kind of sit around, do something that isn't digital with other humans, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there you go. Nova's got Legions is the existing one. Sorry, uh, Nick. There is, I, I believe, Legions, but it's like any flavor of Disney can be involved where Shatterpoint may be Star Wars specific. Who knows? All right. There's some PSAs for you. Now it's time for the good stuff. Like I said, we, 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 there's some, there's some uh, impetus today for me getting my, my ass off this show. I know Nick's <laughs> happy about it, so we're going to keep moving as fast as possible. Which means it is time for the tried and true, the sometimes iconic, never forgettable, deep dive breakdown of the latest episode of The Mandalorian, which actually aired a week ago. I am... I don't know what it is, Nick. It could be my mushy brain, but it does feel like now that we do the show on Tuesday night, it feels like we've waited a whole extra week to break down the show <laughs> because we're, we're, we're that much closer to the next episode. But who gives a shit? We're breaking it down. The pirate, right? S3, E5. I must say, and Nick would never do this because he's a very humble person, but we absolutely destroyed our prediction again for this episode i'm talking almost 99 percent perfect predictions right i I think the only thing i was off on was we were actually going to physically see moff gideon but i'm going to take the win because we got insights into his whereabouts and the only other thing i couldn't nail for sure was what or who was din looking at when he came out of the cl- the cave and we found out it was none other than Captain Carson Tava. Yes. So, yes. We're awesome. Our streak is at, I, I think we're batting <laughs> damn near a thousand for the season in terms All of episode high. predictions. So, everyone can, as always, look for our P.O. box, send the awards. We take crypto. We take steady <laughs> cash. Uh, you name it. We'll take it. Even if it's shit you're trying to throw out, if you want to send it to us, we will gladly receive it. So thank you again, everyone. I know we are awesome. We are awesome. Yes, Chewbacca, thank you. You make me feel special. Um, there you go, Gregu. You know, it, is, it always is nice to see Gregu back in the, the live stream. You know what I mean? Um, Greggy Boy has been one of our longest diehard fans. He kind of, you know, fell out of the show for a little bit because of, you know, family stuff and just the the chaos of the past three years. But it is nice to have him back here. Nick called it. No, you, you say Matt called it last week, even if Nick made the prediction. Just make sure to stroke my ego. Nick doesn't need that type of stuff. He is a healthy individual. I am not. OK. <laughs> All right, dude. So let's get into the pirate, which we expertly predicted. But as we always do, we're just going to go through and kind of give our general review. And then we'll get into the deeper dive breakdown. We'll go through some of the ha moments, the top moments, and of course, the eggs and references. So what say you about the pirate, my friend? Uh, it was pretty good. It was it was a solid episode. I like this is something that I kind of noticed in the middle of the episode, but it was probably one of the most visually appealing episodes of the Mandalorian season three thus far. And maybe even like one of the most visually appealing of the series so far. I don't know if that was just like, if that was just a me thing, but it felt like everything like there, in my opinion, like there was no uh, shenanigans that could be called out with the volume. It was a very like clean visual feel to it. The, the dog fighting looked amazing. Um, Overall, I thought the episode was really good and pushed storylines in a direction that I think, um, you know, 
we we may not have expected, especially towards the end yep. um, of the of the episode. So uh, overall, I, I do think that this is probably one of the best of season three thus far. Wow, so you actually like Star Wars. That's always refreshing within this <laughs> this fandom because like I like I hinted last week, I am starting to see a certain section of the fandom turning on the Mandalorian and those who create it. And yeah, you know, hey, whatever. It it is what it is. Some people like what they like. I, I just I mean, there are people out there, Nick, and I read a lot of bullshit. There are people out there saying, hey. Once Mandalorian started airing, Bad Batch got even better. And I think Bad Batch, the final few episodes, was better than in The Mandalorian so far. And I'm just like, Pabu, for real? You, you, you lose. You lose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you freaking lose. You can't do that. I mean, you can't say. And, and, and I'm not here to shit on The Bad Batch. I actually think by the, you know, once we see what happens in season two... The season is justified. It definitely had some more low points than we probably wanted. But the season moved the fucking ball far down that field. We've learned a lot about the beginnings of the Empire and how the clones were handled. And of course, our our main players. But anyways, back to the show that everyone doesn't realize that it it, it still has more episodes to go. And you probably are going to get somewhere. You just got to wait. It's called serialized programming. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Things are happening. Like, we couldn't have had episode five without having episode one, two, three, and four. Does everyone understand that? Okay, good. So here we go. I'm with Nick. I, I too, found this episode to be pretty great. Uh, it, it is. We, we had, you know, how many? It, we went to the Mando location. We were on Navarro. We were in Coruscant. We were at that fucking island. So Nick's not wrong. This is probably the most visually diverse Mando episode we have. And it also wasn't just a bunch of sandy or black sandy places. You know, we, we mixed in some tropical lo- locations at a Delphi base. Uh, not to mention another fucking banger of a Star Wars tune. I mean, I don't know if you picked up on it, Nick, but the Adelphi bass song rivals, if not beats, the jam we all fell in love with in Andor on Neomos. I'm telling you, whoever's scoring, it was, <laughs> it was great. I mean, like, because I like I watch with captions on, and like when he landed, it literally said like psychedelic rock music yeah, playing. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, wow, okay, this is actually like a very oh, nice dude. beat here. It was pretty I good. I mean, there's yeah. like there was like didgeridoo <laughs> sampled in and like some some uh, chanting and humming. It really was. I mean, that Neomos banger is up there, but I, I I think the Adelphi bass, at least in my book, has has now trumped that. Um but yeah, it was just I love being right. That's another reason I, I like this episode because, you know, it, we really are fucking hitting those tea leaves pretty hard and, and, and they're coming true. So, you know, me, a big fucking Star Wars narcissist is always going to enjoy being right. But besides that, how, how can we be upset about what we're seeing with the Mandalorian culture right now? Uh, I know a lot of you are hung up on Din kind of taking a back seat, but who fucking cares? I mean, the show, as Nick pointed out three years ago, is called The Mandalorian, not The Din Djarin or Din Djarin and Friends. It's called The Mandalorian. Therefore, it applies to any one of those motherfuckers that chooses to wear a bucket on their face. All right? So if this season Bo-Katan is taking center stage, okay, I love it. 
Because look at what it has introduced to us from a Mandalorian culture standpoint. Okay, we, we've seen them train now in groups. We've seen them go out on a rescue mission in a group. We now see them in how they make decisions as a group. You know, you got to have the hammer to talk. The big guy coming around supporting Din and Bo. Them banding together and showing us why the Empire wanted to fucking glass their planet. I mean, with what? 14 Mandalorians, they retook a city from pirates that had a fucking capital ship above it? That stuff, yeah. to me, is awesome. That's why I love shows like this. That's why The Mandalorian is one of my favorite. Because it gives me all this nerdy lore shit that seemingly other fans get bored with. I, on the other hand, am completely enthralled by it. Uh, as Nick teased, the ending was another one. Just like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I mean, when, 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 when she gets called to the principal's office, I'm going, okay, well, what's going to happen here? Is, this, is the armor, is she really going to reveal herself now? Is she going to take her helmet off? No. She's like, Bo, take that fucking thing off. And I love Bo's reaction. Like, are you crazy? Are you trying to get me kicked out of your tribe? And, and, you know, making the proclamation, it's time to retake the planet, Bo walking both worlds, she's the fucking key to everything. Beautiful. I mean, we, we now know where this season is going in full. And I'll go back to episode two and why I love that episode and that it, it essentially reset season three for us. It got Din's bullshit out of the way. We didn't have to worry about more questing with Mr. Jaren. And now we are seeing the Mandalorian has graduated. With episode five, they are now coming out of their caves, literally, and making them their presence known again. Hence the Empire's reaction and the, the Gideon stuff, which we will surely slice apart. So I'm with Nick. This was a, a great episode to kind of wrap up everything that came before it and then spit it back out as the, the new narrative for these final, what do we got? Three episodes to go. Jesus, yeah, only three nice left. Three. Man, only three left. I'm going to have some of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it was the ending itself was such a big reveal. Like yeah. that there are, whether it be Mandalorians that we are familiar with or other Mandalorians out there that, that, you know, Bo may come in contact with as she goes to try to reunite the clans. There are Mandalorians out there who are actively assisting the empire or the imperial remnant in in rebuilding itself and trying to retake power specifically in this outer rim area i mean it was that was definitely kind of a twist that i wasn't expecting in this season and it was really something that like gives us another little edge of this story to to look forward to because if if you didn't have a little twist like that it was a pretty straightforward kind of ending you know like go seek out the mandalorian tribes reunite them with the the rest of the mandalorians that are throughout the galaxy and then kind of have Bo take over as the leader of the mandalorian people but now there's a lot of questions because now that the remnant empire is is working with some faction of mandalorians your question is now who like right you know first first thing that popped into my head was well, Maldalorians were, were essentially the ones who became the Imperial Super Commandos during the yep. reign of the Empire. So and, and we know we know Gideon's appreciation for the culture. He had the Darksaber. He was on Mandalore. So he, he could have been he could have been a Maul like figure to some of these nutjob Mandos. 
Yeah. Where they yeah, follow I mean, him and, and they, they almost, you know, he's the leader. You got the yeah. dark saber. We also, what, what else have we heard about Gideon this year or this season? What's he going to be wearing? Oh, Mandalorian like yeah, yeah. armor. So he's got his own version of, of Mando armor. Um, obviously we know that he was wielding the dark saber, which we know has a huge, uh, weight in Mandalorian culture to wield the dark saber. So that's another thing to throw on top of it. And now you have to call in the, the, the allegiance of the armorer into question, because as we've been talking about in the last few episodes, what is, where do her allegiances lie? Is she, uh, you know, her, her helmet has the, the telltale horns of a former Maldorian. At this point, Nick, I I think that's just like a MacGuffin to, to make us think that I, I just, she has shown so much that she is into this reunification of Mandalorians that it's, it would be a true surprise. I think at this point in time, if, if she was revealed to be in leagues with Gideon, uh, I, I'm not saying that's I'm, I'm not wiping that off the table, but she really does seem committed to reunification, the walk of the both worlds and, and reunifying via Bo-Katan. And, and maybe, Hey, that, that could be what she wants. Uh, to kind of get Bo-Katan into some trouble or, or or get her out there on her own, separated from Din. But I don't know. It's just, it really is feeling to me like the children of Watch have fully coalesced around Bo-Katan. She's become a respected member, uh, so much so that their detached leader essentially anointed her as the uh, the reuniter of all Mandalorians, which is a a huge challenge in a I, I would almost think a huge honor for these type of of people these type of mandalorians and how they think so i'm not saying she she could still have something shady going on but it, it, i don't know it, it's i am i'm leaning much more towards characters we haven't met yet that were mandalorians or ones that we have met that have gone back to their mercenary type of ways and might be doing some dumb shit uh, I didn't know you'd be getting right into that, but that was definitely one of my my ha moments. And, and and I'm with you. I actually think there's there's three scenarios. And what Nick's talking about, just in case you're dumb, he's talking about the very end, the 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 Tava reveal with the the Lambda class shuttle there. So Nick, here here you go. You, you hit it right on the head. It, it, in my opinion, there's there's three scenarios for how that played out with Gideon. One, Nick already said it. Gideon has been in leagues and is still is in leagues with former Mandalorians, could be the Super Commandos, Maldalorians, whatever. They're the ones that did it. It could be straight Merc Mandalorians. I mean, Bo-Katan specifically said in episode one, Casca and Axe and the likes, they don't follow me anymore. They are now mercenaries for hire, essentially yeah. is what she said. Um, and then number three... It could be a a complete fucking staging by the Remnant Empire to get uh, a little bit of friction between the New Republic and the Mandalorians. I mean, in the yeah. end, all three scenarios are going to lead to friction with the New Republic. I mean, that that that's a done deal. But to me, I, I really think it's one of those three scenarios. Gideon's actual loyalists, Axe and Casca and other Merc Mandos, or a, a straight plant set up by the Remnant. What what do you think? I mean, is that kind of where you were at on? I mean, kind of. I mean, you could think too that if I mean we, if we know that that, um, Gideon has his own set of like Mandalorian armor that could have easily just been like you know 
a shard from that piece of armor that has nothing to do with real Mandalorians. I do think that it's ultimately going to be like a, uh, like a red herring that's used to, to, like you said, try to pit, uh, the new Republic versus the Mandalorians in a very similar fashion to what happened in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I highly doubt that there are, uh, a large faction of Mandalorians out there who were like, really gung-ho about freeing Gideon enough to where they would like risk open war against their people. Um, so I think that, that you, that's probably the most likely scenario. The other is there is just like a small faction of, of Maul DeLoreans, Imperial super commandos out there who are still loyal to Gideon and, and, and ran that breakout themselves. I, I yeah. don't think that there is a, I, I, think that it's highly unlikely that anybody that we've met so far is the one that is responsible for all right the, uh, we're gonna revisit this once we we hit that old set leak because knowing what we know now nick and then revisiting that set leak i think it informs some of these these theories but we'll, we'll definitely yeah. touch back on it so all right l- l- let's get down into the nitty-gritty my friends you you've heard our thoughts now let's get into the good stuff the top moments the eggs and some ha's all right, starting with some top moments here. I ran with uh, to to start the Din's petitioning of the clan. All right, and you people are probably like, man, you really are a fucking dork, and and I am. <laughs> but I love this scene. I love seeing how these people kind of function from a a, a I don't know a leadership a government standpoint. Uh, it is very tribal. You know, we we learned that you can only speak if you're holding the hammer. Um, you know, I think Din gave a great little speech. I loved all the Mandos like, you know, after the stuff he said. And then I think it was a a nice surprise to have Paz get up there and just straight up said like, listen, I'm not a huge fan of this man, but he saved my son. Bo went after my son. None of you fucking lazy assholes did. Y'all ran into your caves. And besides... We're Mandalorians. I mean, that's what we want from a show called The Mandalorian, right? We want to see these people banding together, uh, uniting together against a common cause, and and yeah. and, and their 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 um kind of penchant for honor, right? Like they're a very honor based society, and that's where I think Paz was coming from. So, again, seeing moments like this, Nick, that it it makes me question my earlier theories on you know paz and the armor and and the children in general they do seem like outside of the helmet role they do seem like they somewhat have their shit together at least from a society standpoint (laughs) and how you are uh, allowed to interact and and ask your clan for assistance yeah i mean they they've definitely like gone back to like very early societal structure where like I mean, almost like kids at camp where it's like, if you're holding the talking stick, then you can talk, Um, you know, here you go, Din, you get the special hammer today, pal. I will also say that, like, there was a sense like right when Tiva showed up, just like a sense of almost like I want to call it cowardice, but it's almost just like a sense of fear that is instilled within these Mandalorians, either by uh you know stories from the past by the armor herself or whoever that like they they're literally like somebody knows where we are we have to leave 
And yeah. that, that is such a, like, that's the, almost the antithesis of what Mandalorians were in the past. They were always a very, um, like very powerful, strong forward culture that wasn't afraid of anybody. And now you have this whole band of Mandalorians who are used to literally running away from where they live at the sight of anybody, not just like the sight of an enemy at the sight of anybody. Um, and it really did take like a full sit down to be like, Hey, like what the fuck is wrong with us now? Like, yeah, <laughs> we are like, we're living, we're, we're supposed to be the, the, the galaxy's greatest warriors. We spend all of our time training and doing all this stuff. But the second that somebody comes up to us that we don't know, we run away and hide. Like it was very interesting to see their reaction to just somebody landing at their, at their cave. And then, um, you know, the, 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 essentially the counsel that it took to get them to agree to, um, to, you know, go to Navarro and help retake the city. Uh, so I thought that that whole like beginning sequence was very interesting, not only, uh, their reaction, but then how the armor basically just sat on the sidelines and said nothing. So I thought that, that, that See, whole I, thing I, was very I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm digging the armor more and more. She, she's becoming the most interesting character to me now. I mean, it was Bo Katan, but we're, we've learned a lot about Bo up until this point. We still don't know dick shit about the lady with the furry cape. So, uh, but I, I, I did like that Grogu chose to sat next to her during the council. I love that shit. I like that she's kind of taking to him and, and he's taking to her and he really is part of the clan. He's sitting in there with his little rocks hanging out. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a, uh, an interesting scene. I mean, obviously nothing, it wasn't action oriented. Uh, I wouldn't even say you, you learned lore that would make your brain explode, but you, you did get to see these Mandalorians, as Nick said, kind of coming to terms with their, their current situation and, and leveraging, potential opportunities to rejoin the galaxy because uh, you got to remember they they initially left on obviously the honor charge were mandalorians but din was like yo if we go do this we we can get a whole fucking sect of land here it, it's already been gifted to me this could be our new home we could actually have crops let our kids play outside and and start to rejoin normal society if you will so um, the whole thing was just a great little scene, and it gave us a, a really focused look at how this particular sect, this clan of Mandalorians operate and, and how major decisions are made. And I kind of did dig the the tribal approach to it. You are right. It is very, you know, sit around the campfire. You know, maybe maybe the chief's not doing anything. The chief's just observing, and 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 the other, you know, the braves or the elders, they're laying down what needs to happen. So that that was the first uh, top moment for me. Um, obviously, the the second is going to be, and I'm an idiot and didn't include an image. So let me scroll down to our Easter eggs. That's that fucking cameo, man. I mean. When I saw that big purple Lasat walk up to Tava, I was like, is that him? Is that fucking him? I, and I wrote down in my notes, purple Lasat, Zeb question mark. Because I, I couldn't believe that we were getting this cameo now. Um, I, I mean, it makes sense because I, I, I think they're trying to set up as many of these animated Rebels characters as they can for Ahsoka. 
But, you know, just getting a random, oh, yeah, hey, Zeb's in the New Republic. Uh, he's hanging out at, at Delphi base, flying a Y-Wing or whatever, chilling with, with Tava, Wolf, uh, all the other pilots we've met, a.k.a. other Mandalorian creatives that were in that bar. But, dude, I mean, that was just, that was a, a welcomed and genuine surprise moment, seeing Zeb Aurelios make his live-action debut and just kind of a casual cameo moment in The Mandalorian. Yeah, no, I mean, it was amazing to see him. I'm curious to see if he's going to be brought into The Mandalorian again or if this is almost just like a setup for seeing him in the Ahsoka series because, I mean, we have so many, like, well, not really confirmations, but we have so many you know, almost for sure confirmations that, you know, you're going to see a lot of Rebels characters in the Mandalorian. So now that he's been or in Ahsoka and now that he's been introduced, I wonder if he will be one of the ones that we see in the Ahsoka series, um, even though it wasn't announced previously that he would be in it. So it was very fun to get to see him in live action. I think they did a good job with the representation of him. Yeah, well. and it- it is confirmed that Steve Bloom, the voice actor, not only did he do the voice, but he also did the uh, mocap for it. And uh, Nova's got Nova's got a good point. And I think it's the fact that Zeb is, to me, Nick, he, I, could you tell if he was full CGI or kind of like a hybrid? I couldn't tell. I mean, he looked fucking good. It was, I mean, it was hard big, to tell. Yeah, it, it felt like some... Parts were practical and, and, and some were CGI, but either way, I, I think it's it's way easier to keep those types of characters secret because on set, you're probably not going to have Steve Bloom there. You might just have some big dude in a suit filling in yeah. as a kind of a body double. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with Nova. It is, it is great to get little surprises like this because they do hit. I mean, this was the talk of the town last week. Come, you know, on Wednesday, after all us nut jobs that need to watch it within the first few hours of release... That was everything. That's what everyone was talking about, and and I agree. It was a, it was a genuine a genuine surprise moment in the Mandalorian. Therefore, a a top uh, a top moment from this episode. Yeah. All right, moving right along. Hey, we we talked about it. it was fun to see them plan for war. It's even more fun to see them do war. You know what I mean? And I am talking about the Mandalorian counterattack on Navarro. You know, um, Nick talked about just some of the visuals. Once again, we got another fantastic dogfight with Din and Bo. I mean, these two really are a, a formidable team together, both on ground in and in the air. I mean, I, I love how it started with Din kind of playing the bait, taking away the snub fighter so Bo could then come in and, and uh, drop the uh, platoons down and then start making strafing runs on, on the Corsair. It was just everything about it was great. It was just it was it was Star Wars action. You you had a dogfight taking place while you had ground battles. I mean, that is vintage Star Wars. That's the you know, the Phantom Menace for you right there. You had the Naboo ground battle, you had Anakin up there in the in the stars fighting, you know, going back and forth between the two different um action venues. It, it was just it was awesome. I mean, uh, Din once again. I'm putting him up there. He, he's one of the greatest pilots in the galaxy. He's up. He's down. He's up. I'm getting the fuck out of here. My name's Vane. I mean, it was just it just great stuff watching this man operate. And while he may not be the star this season, he still provides some some pretty great action moments behind the yoke of the N1. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was but, a top moment. 
You, you know, I mean, even more so, Nick, it was it was cool to see the other Mandalorians working together. You, you know, just the random ones and then the ones led by Paz. You know, Paz kind of laying down fire, so some more forces come in, the armor getting up there, taking out that sniper. Uh, it, it was just a joy to watch. And, and you could probably argue... If those dickheads didn't get like that that cannon up on up on the perch, grease perch, I don't think a single Mando would have taken any serious damage. I mean, yeah. it it took a fucking turbo laser cannon to just knock them down onto the ground. Anything else, you know, is like we're used to the the din bullet bust. They're just kind of ricochet. Uh, but just awesome stuff. And and like we've been saying, th- there's a reason the Empire focused on Mandalore. When it took over, um, it, it knew that if you had enough of these armor wearing motherfuckers out there that just like the Jedi, they could give them a legit run for their money. Yeah. So I mean, um, Mandalorians are like the Spartans of the Star Wars universe. You know, I think that's yeah. the like the best way to think about it for those of you who were around when the movie 300 came out, which was a long time. So. Right. Yeah, they're they're um you you put them in a little crevasse or a canyon, and, and they are gonna kill many 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 people before they yield. Uh, it, it's just fun stuff. Uh, what what popped up here? Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so during that battle, Nick, we 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 lost uh, pirate king Gorian Shard. Yes. So that kind of that kind of shits my skeleton crew theory to bed, but it doesn't. All right, hear me out. They do not put focus on Vane leaving the battle just for fun, okay? Yeah. So I'm still holding on to that theory that we have seen some, I'll change it to some, of the pirates from the Mandalorian are probably going to cross over to Skeleton Crew, and it looks like Vane is going to be that person. Because if you think about it, there is now a power vacuum within the the pirate kingdom. They, they've yeah. lost their king, so just just calm down. I get it. I was wrong. No Gorian Shard and Skeleton Crew, but it looks like Vane has survived to fight another day. So thank you for that, Nova. Um, I, I'm not I'm not completely giving up on that prediction yet. All right, moving on with our top moments for this episode here. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the I really enjoyed Armor's pitch to bow. Uh, it, it just it, it, it was another moment in this episode that just completely caught me off guard. I, I mean, I had no clue what what the conversation was going to be about. I definitely didn't think it would be about, hey, take your fucking helmet off in front of me and you're going to go be our voice now. You're the one to go out there because you've walked both worlds. So I, I don't know. I mean. I think it gave more insights into what the armor's thinking in her end game. So I appreciated that. I love how Katie acted the scene, Nick. And, you know, even under the mask, you could feel how hesitant she was to take it off. Like she was, she was caught off guard. I mean, it shocked her. She almost felt like as I did, the armor was setting her up for some sort of self banishment. Uh, and I think that's why I, I like the scene. Also, you know, we got to revisit a, they're covert from from season one. Got some more stories about being back at home. Did you did you get anything out of her allegory on the forges? Did did you feel like she was comparing herself to Bo Katan? Did you pay attention that much? I guess because this is pretty pretty deep. But 
she's talking about how the the main forge on Mandalore was like this just yeah, big, like, beautiful, powerful thing. But yeah. then this little piece of shit. But she says, but in the end, they both serve the same purpose. I feel like she was kind of telling us the story of Bo and herself. Like Bo is the big, fancy royal kiln or, or forge. And the armor is the more simple, practical one, but they're both there for the same purpose. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I could see that a bit. I, I, in the moment, I didn't really draw that conclusion from it, but I guess you can you can definitely see that if you like give it a little bit more thought. Um, which I mean, like in her mind, yeah, the 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 armor is definitely like sees herself as a a leader of Mandalore. And I'm not sure that, but not you know, not flashy, like just basic, plain yeah. Jane. It could almost be like if these two are related, maybe the armor is like her, uh, you know, like a bastard sister, and and because of that, she was hidden, had to grow up on the moon, didn't get to live the royal life, and that's where the comparison came from. I don't know, dude. I, I could be reaching for straws, but I just I felt like that preamble to her pitch to Bo was was purposeful. It was trying to explain to us you know, Luddites, maybe a bit more about their ties together, their, their upbringings, if you will. Yeah. yeah. BMAD. That's some deep cuts, man. That, that's how we roll here. B mad. Welcome to the show. Um, it, it, who knows? I, hopefully we find out by episode eight, right? Yeah, um, I would hope so. I mean, the, do, the do you want, uh, <laughs> do you want the Mandalorian to bad batch us or would you like a bit more closure with this season of the Mandalorian? <laughs> I mean, I, I would like, I, I don't think that you can ever like really fully wrap up a, a season, especially right. for those who like, especially for a show that like is, you know, is going to continue and, and that has a lot of runtime left in its, in its you know, in its show. Um, that being said, like, I, I would like some resolutions for like, pretend, like, I would like to know who the armor is because I don't yeah. know what the point of continuing to hold that secret is anymore. Um, and I, I would really like to know just kind of the story behind the, like how this covert got started, because I feel like after potentially after this season, we may be going just in like a different direction narratively. That's not going to be as focused on the, like the members of this covert and, in like the Mandalorian, uh, like the, you know, the leaders of, of the Mandalorian covert coverts in general. So I'd hope that we would get a little bit more clarity before this season ends, but that, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe we continue to ride this storyline and, and continue to explore these characters within the covert for, I, you know, seasons longer. I mean, how man, just based on our little tiny exclusive from last week, it does sound like we are at least going to get to a point where these various factions that the armor tees in episode five will be together how that comes to be obviously that's going to start tomorrow in episode six and and probably carry on through the finale but i i do think and hopefully that means that the helmet comes off or we get more insights i mean i there's a chance people that armor helmet might not come off i mean she is the leader of of the creed so (laughs) that would be that'd be odd unless you know someone above her kind of blesses it like she did the bow but I do hope that we at least get some details, name, maybe lineage, a bit of history. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. But I, I, I do think we're at least going to get to the point where the Mandalorians get through a little bit of their beef, you know, the, the, the interfactional beef to where the, by the end of the season, they are united in some capacity. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that a name would be great because even like, like she said Paz Vizsla's name. It's not like, you know, you can't have a face and you can't have Correct. a name. Correct. You're, you're you know, right. I mean, keep... I would get away from seeing her face, but you're a hundred percent correct on name. Like you, you got to tickle, you got to tickle our taints a little bit or, you know, Nick prefers tickling his tits. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was just, it was a good scene. And you know, at first when I watched it, I didn't realize that she made her keep her helmet off as she rejoined the clan. Cause you know, if you watch they don't show Bo until almost the very end, but you can see, like, Everybody if you look at all the Mandalorian, they're looking yeah. at her like, what the fuck is going on here? She already quit. Did she get fired? The armor kicked her out. But sure enough, the armor's like, listen, everyone, do you guys, do you, you know, essentially, I'm the armor. This is how it's going. Bo-Katan has walked both worlds, so she is going to go be our face now. So I guess why we're on this, Nick, I, I did kind of have a ha for this. The, the whole idea of, of armor making Bo take her helmet off, I guess to you, first question, what does that signify? I mean, I think that signifies to me that the armor realizes that there is no one way to like okay. properly lead a people, you know, like okay. for, for the large majority or for the entire time that we've known the, uh, the armor, she has been very strict in terms of like, if you, if you don't follow this particular creed to the letter, then you're an apostate, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And I think that like Bo-Katan has allowed her to really understand that like leadership is not blind adherence to something that you don't understand. It is how the people around you are affected by your presence by your leadership, by your words and actions and deeds. And I think that in a very short amount of time since, since like Bo has joined their group, she's been able to recognize like, yeah, like she came into this and we were, we essentially like she came into our group with the, the tag of an apostate and somebody that we should kill essentially without question and then within a very short amount of time, she has gained not only the respect of everybody, but the admiration of a lot of the high ranking people in this covert, Paz Vizsla included. So I think that like that, in, in addition to the, the fact that it seems like she now believes that Bo-Katan has actually seen the yeah. Mythosaur. Yeah, how about that? I mean, like, she, she finally was like, <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, I believed you the whole time. And now it, it is. You, you yeah. are seemingly the anointed one. All right. I, I kind of like after I wrote that question, I, I just my two cents. So I wouldn't forget. I just said a change in philosophy or recognizing that she's walked both worlds and will have to keep doing so to reunite the clans. So we, we're, we're kind of in line on that. I, I guess a follow up would be. Do you do you see a, a fundamental shift in the creed now with helmets or is this just to kind of rope them in to the children and then we all got to abide by the creed again. See, I, I think that there is just going to be a general loosening because I also think that the armor realizes that like the Mandalorians who are out there who have been living a very normal life are not going to come into a, right. like they're not going to come into a society where they are restricted from living their life as they see fit. You know, they, they, they like, I'm sure that the people would be very like the the Mandalorians that are out there in the galaxy to bring back into the fold would be very happy to help 
to rebuild Mandalorian culture, retake their home world and start to like build it back up to its old glory. But I, I think that she's starting to understand that like, um, that leadership is not blind adherence to right. words. You know, I think that there, that there is more to well, it than it's just also, like that. Yeah. I mean, cause you gotta remember from season two, I mean the, the, the first time that the night owls realized Din would not remove his helmet in front of him, they instantly knew they're like, Oh, He's yeah. one of them. So it's like the, the, the children are, are, are a known commodity to other Mandalorians, and they are kind of scared of them, if not think they're, they're nuts. Now, Bo is one of them. And, and I think Nick's right. Bo herself has learned, like, you know what? I, I was kind of being foolish and thinking that my way was the only way. These people are actually getting shit done. I feel a part of a family they embrace me as a leader. You know, they, they look up to me at this point in time. We got them out of the cave. We beat the pirates. We saved in. She's starting to see like, hey, some good shit's happening for me that hasn't happened for me for the past few decades by being with these people. And, and on the flip side, like you're saying, the armor's probably realizing like, all right, if, if Bo-Katan Kreese can come here and get down with the way, Others can, but I may have to figure some creed shit out. And I think, haven't we all been led to believe that the, 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 the creed, the creed's been there forever, but the whole helmet thing, wasn't that just because they're in exile and it's a way to protect their identity from the empire and being snuffed out? Do I have yeah, that I mean, it definitely was. I mean, that was definitely a reaction to the Night of a Thousand Tears. Right. So and, and all of that stuff. Maybe so. now that she has she's realizing, like, you know, this is the time to retake Mandalore. The Mythosaur is back. The New Age is ushered in. You know, maybe that shit will kind of go out the window. You, you still got to adhere to the way and this is the way and all that fun stuff. But the, I, I do see the helmet thing getting relaxed if they all reunite. If not, it, it, it's going to have to be a mandatory thing to bring in these other groups. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe the children convinces them all that their way is the way, and they keep these things on. But I doubt the stars would like that. So I, yeah. I have a feeling helmet helmet off in, in season four may be the new trend. Yeah, I mean, it, it may become like an optional thing. I don't know if it'll be like you have to wear it, but it's like look. If this is something that you find essential to the way that you operate and the way that you want to present yourself in the galaxy, then then you can do that. You know, like you can continue to wear your helmet. Nobody is going to look at you in any sort of, uh, you know, odd way. But then also, if you choose to not do that, that's OK as well. Like we understand that that people uh, have different ways of conducting themselves. And as long as we all agree that the goal of everybody is to enrich yeah. and rebuild the Mandalorian way of life, then, hey, it doesn't really matter if you wear your helmet all the time or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and Nova's bringing up a good point in the live stream chat here. I mean, Bo has literally been with every type of Mandalorian faction you could think of. She was with the original Death Watch. She started her own Night Owls. Uh, you know, where she was starting to make amends for her, her atrocities with Death Watch. And now she's with the children and has been successful and has kind of seen the light with them. So she truly is the best spokesperson to go out there and try to unite. Not to mention she's got the name, right? She's got, she, she essentially has a nil deal. 
She's got name, image, and likeness in the Mandalorian uh, culture. Every faction would know who Bo-Katan Kryze is at this point in time. I mean, she she's the last line of their royal family. Um, all right. Good stuff there. Thank you for the ha. Uh... All right. And then the uh, last top moment, obviously, is the um the reveal the the Gideon reveal and I I, I kind of like how that was all done it was kind of creepy you know the 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 X-wing just sitting there floating in space Tiva shooting R7's little sensor out there and using it as a drone uh, but but really I mean the reason it's a, a a top moment is because we learn and and possibly we we already went down this rabbit hole so we're not going to dive into it much deeper but we learned in in one way or another mandalorians helped gideon get free either mando's being set up his former loyalists or mando mercs so that that's a big reveal because obviously uh this is going to cause some friction with the new republic uh, there there's make no mistake there there was there was a reason Tava got a lot of scream time this week i mean i, I do think he's kind of the the new cara dune if you will uh, he is the ranger of the New Republic. I, I got all sorts of notes there we could cover real quick. I mean, uh, but real quick, we'll finish out this top moment. But it was just, it, like I said, I, I like the way it was shot. I like the creepiness behind it. And then obviously the revelation that just as the Mandalorians are coming out of their caves, they're now going to get some uh, unwanted heat from the New Republic because of whatever faction did this and, and left behind that Beskar, Beskar al uh, uh, <coughs> alloy. Yeah, I mean, it's what the only thing that may save them is the relationship between Din Tava. and the, uh, or Din and, and Captain Tiva. Because yeah. now we know that like Tiva is like kind of going against, like, well, not kind of, he is going against New Republic orders. He's like, look, he goes to the New Republic, says they need help. These people need help. Then you have the obvious Imperial agent come in, say they haven't signed the charter, whatever. But now, Tiva, Yo, fuck that. Fuck Kane. Kane's such a shithead. I know, right? It's, it's so I mean, at this great. point, people are like, oh, no, maybe. She, I mean, come on. She's directly playing interference for Navarro. So Navarro gets fucked up. That yeah. was Gideon's old, old little science planet. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, so like it's it's going to be interesting because like you have you have Tiva who trusts Din. Not only does Tiva trust Din, but now he trusts all of these other Mandalorians because they answered his call to go help on Navarro. He sees this piece of Beskar uh armor in there. I think he's probably going to be like, "Hey, Din, heads up, man. Like we just found this vessel out here." And we found some Mandalorian armor on it. It may be positioned as like, look out for the pe like watch your back because these people that you're with now yeah. could be, you know, shady. Or he could say some people may be out there trying to pin this on Mandalorians. So it's going to like Carson Tiva is going to like, in my opinion, is going to play a very important role in how this all plays out because he no, has this essential you, piece of information. He is he is what Cara Dune would be doing right now. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I, well, I mean, yeah, definitely, did, definitely. Take it to the bank. I mean, he that the, all that shit happening on 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 a Delphi base would probably would have been in Rangers of the New Republic. Uh, I mean, Kathleen has said it. That show has essentially been repurposed into the Mandalorian and other 
properties. Maybe some of it's in Skeleton Crew. Maybe some of it's going to be in Ahsoka, like we talked last week. Ahsoka is essentially a two-part series. First part is going to be New Republic heavy focus. So good chance you're going to get some Ranger shit in there. So yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, it, it, it's all good. Bitter Asian dude is the man. I mean, I I, I love Tava and, and the guy that that plays him. He's a cool little character. Um, how about when he was flying to their, their, their cave planet, I was like, how the fuck is he tracking them? Did, did, did he have tracker on the gauntlet, like from the clone wars air or, or, or the rebellion? And then you learn it's fucking R5's dead ass. Yeah. Hanging yeah. out in the cave, still sending out signals to his old rebel pals. Thanks, R5. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like literally the spy was the droid that he picked that, that yeah. picked up from fucking Pelly. Like, <laughs> perfect r5's always fucking shit up man it's like yeah. he well apparently the backstory is he purposely blew his his motivator his mo- because yeah. he he knew r2 was better for the job or I, something i like remember that. reading that and i was like oh my uh, god dude this, you gotta love that little he was guy. a rebel agent the whole time yeah like <laughs> like when he's like oh hey and people are walking him out like did did he tag din did he tag Bo? and then you see this little astromech rolling and it's like hey there good buddy he's like man r5 you son of a bitch dude i'm surprised that nobody blasted that thing as soon as they as soon as tiva said it like yeah, like well, yeah, yeah, like like Paz picks it up and fucking rock slams its ass, or just you know explodes it with his rocket pack, something like yeah, that, like yeah. like an over the top death for R five. Like you son um, of a bitch, you ratted us out. That was amazing. That was amazing. And now, uh, I mean, like you know, before, like as Vizsla said when he stepped out, he's like, now we have to leave because you showed up here. Right. And even as Tiva was leaving, he was like, you know. I know you guys are moving anyway, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Now they don't even have to worry about leaving. They have the entirety, like the, right. the like a massive swath of land on Navarro that is all, all the way through, to Bullock Canyon, right? Yeah. That's what so. Grief said. And once again, I know we haven't talked about Grief that much, but God bless that man. He is a a fantastic Star Wars character, and uh, you know Carl Weathers is just a, a gem, a gem. I love I, I just, Carl Weathers. Man. Yeah, he I plays mean, he, that character so well perfectly right i mean just yeah. fucking perfectly and i love that he even forgot to call himself high magistrate and, and copper had to remind them i mean just beautiful stuff uh all right so uh, let's uh dive into some of our eggs and references now my friends there was uh, some good ones in here i mean obviously the big one our our big hairy purple guy is massive but we already talked about that so let's get into some of the others you may have not picked up on uh, the first one being when uh, Shard first calls in to threaten Grief. Uh, I, I believe Grief talks about, hey, uh, we're in the, the, the spin word sector. And I'm going to let the spin word know. And that, that actually is a thing in the outer rim. It's like a, a sector of the outer rim. And there was a patrol out there, like the spin word patrol or something like that. So that is uh, legitimately a thing. And Shard also said to grief like hey man you better not gamble on this this isn't sabak so we got a nice little sabak mention everyone knows that game that's how han won the falcon all right up next on adelphi base which has some of the most kick-ass music in all of star wars we got to see i believe for the first time in the mando verse yes uh y-wing i I believe we've only seen the x-wings from the Rebel Alliance up until this point. So it was nice to see some bombers in there. And um, per the norm, the, well, now the New Republic fleet still looks like P-51 
pieces of shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've always said that I, w- I was always drawn to the Empire's aesthetic because everything looks so pristine, angular, gray, powerful. The Rebels have always had like run down, patched up, rusted, beaded, you know, let's put some sheet metal on it type of ships. And even after, even after winning the goddamn war and taking back the galaxy from Palpatine, they're still whipping around on busted ass Y-Wings and X-Wings. Dude, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you why, too. They, they probably could have taken a lot of the Imperial single-manned vessels to use for their own... Like, we know, you know they're breaking own. them all down, right? That's what oh, Pershing yeah, they, was doing. Yeah, but Pershing was doing that. That was ordered by, or that was like helmed by Mon Mothma to to decommission the old Imperial fleet and even decommission a lot of the, yep. the rebel fleet. But the reason that they're keeping the X and Y wings is because of two things. One, they're hyperspace capable, and two, they have shields, and none of the Imperial single man crafts had that. Like correct. Um, you did not have TIE fighters that had shields or hyperspace capability, which is why every time you saw TIE fighters out in open space fighting, they came out of a larger ship's hull, whereas you could have X-Wings come in in hyperspace and and, and start a battle. Um, and they also didn't have shields, which is why X-Wings could not fight in atmosphere. Well, at least, you know, originally. Now we've seen X-Wings flying in atmosphere and stuff like that. But they could not fight in atmosphere because the atmospheric shear on their, on like the actual metal of their crafts would rip them apart. So they didn't have a shield to like protect. There, there's some, there's some motherfucking real life science from Nick. Holy shit. No idea. <laughs> that's, 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 that must be from reading words and shit. Star Wars. That, huh? that was definitely from the words and shit for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, but, uh, let's just one more time. Let's honor the Adelphi jam. Holy shit. That's great. I, I got to get the soundtrack awesome. sooner than later. <laughs> uh, sticking with Adelphi base. I, I mean, holy shit. The one pulled out scene. If you're looking close enough here, here, who is all in that bar? And it was a who's who of the Mandoverse creative team. We had Dave Filoni was in there. Rick Famuia, uh, Deborah Chow was in there. All right. They were reprising their characters. So Trapper Wolf, Jib Dodger, Sash Ketter, all right, the Adelphi Rangers. Uh, and then if you look around the bar, look at all the buckets. Look at the Imperial, uh, the um, IPD the head. That's kind of, there's literally an Imperial It almost looks like a spotlight. Yeah, it's, it's like the light for the bar now when things get crazy at night. You know, that's where they'll, they'll turn that on and start dancing. Yeah. Uh, so the, the bar itself was loaded. And then if that wasn't enough, when you blinked your fucking eyes... Zeb comes walking in, just has a casual conversation with Ta- to, with Tava to let us know, like, "Hey, man, we're pretty much on our own out here. You can we we've been asking for help from the New Republic for weeks. Nothing gets happened because of the backlog of all the planets. So, you know, good luck to you." And and that's where Tava's like, "All right, well, I'll just I'll go fucking talk to him in person." So, not only was it an awesome cameo, but he gave us some insights into how the New Republic is failing quite hard already in terms of being able to deploy a a reactionary force in time to ensure that the, you know, the, the free people of the galaxy are protected. Uh, They just can't do it. And we learned even more why they can't do it. It's because, well, if you're not a member system, you go at the bottom of the fucking list. 
So yeah. they're essentially the Republic again, parts of the Empire. They're just they do it with a smile and they try through policy instead yeah. of through putting through their action. heel on people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it. it is standard government bureaucracy, you know, like yeah. this guy is a bureaucrat. He's got all of these fucking discs. You could see like the, the intro to him was perfect and it, it explained his reaction to Tiva really well, even before the conversation. This guy's a bureaucrat. He's got these fucking discs stacked on his desk as the droid comes in. He's like, don't put any more on my desk. Like this is my workspace. Droid just drops it off. This yeah, guy I, I is like the droid mid- stood up for himself though. Droid's yeah. like, fuck you, pal. Fuck You're you. getting it whether you like it. Yeah. This guy's some mid-level bureaucrat. He's like, look, are they a member system? No, bottom of the list. Sorry, that's just how it goes. Just how it goes. Obviously, you had Kane in there who was not helping the situation by by like literally pushing oh, yeah. the fact that they should not help these no, people. That was great, man. She's aw- she's I mean, an awesome bad person. There's no doubt she about it. She is. I goes- mean, like, I like the way that that character is being used as this like nefarious mole within the the interior of the new Republic like, like lower levels of new Republic government right now is so, it's so interesting to see how they're going to use her moving forward. So, uh, definitely enjoyed that little interaction there. Cause it does, it shows you that like, even though the new Republic, like at its probably its highest levels, those like Mon Mothma and those who are, you know, Bail Organa and those who are really working to put together or to, I mean, obviously Bail's not there. My bad. Bail is dead. Um, but uh, um, like those who were actually working to put the government back together, like they do, like if you ask Mon Mothma, she'd be like, send people over there now. But like if you ask a guy who's a pencil pusher, he's going to be like, look, man, th- this is this is protocol. And that's right. what I can do. I can do protocol and that's it. So, yeah, that, that's uh, what, anytime you're the leader of a government, you can say anything you want. People are gonna be like, yeah, but that, that's all you are. You're just the voice. It's it's people like Colonel Tuttle here pushing the pencils and inserting the discs that actually have to follow the protocols and get shit done. And they ultimately make the decisions for the galaxy. Mon Mothma does not. And and clearly it, it, it costs them all because she, she tried to play too nice. I mean, you gotta remember. Princess Leia is in the Senate at this point in time and they end up throwing her ass out. Yeah. Because Leia's like, you fucking idiots, we can't burn all our complete war machine. You never know what is out there. And that was too much for Mon Mothma's New Republic. Leia got kicked out, therefore the resistance popped up, and that was the only uh, kind of counter-agent to the First Order. And yeah. it's yeah. why the First Order was able to turn a fucking planet into a Death Star and then use that to blow up the entire New Republic system in one shot. So bad choices. I mean, with hindsight, my Mothma and, and all those leaders, they, they were doing the right thing in their minds. They were doing the just thing. They were they were instead of killing all the Imperials or putting them in prison, they were trying to give them a life, just like we do with our own prison system. Uh, she was trying with the Disarmament Act. It made sense. Like, hey, if there's not a bunch of war machines in the galaxy, then we can't all shoot each other up. But just wrong decisions for the wrong galaxy. It's just the, yeah. the, the, the star Wars galaxy is not one that wants to live in peace. Clearly. Yeah. Um, it can't, it can't live in peace. No, <laughs> no. I mean, dude, anything with humanoids in it is, is bound to fail as, yeah. as we all are seeing right now in our own world. I mean, humans 
just cannot coexist peacefully with each other. We always want something that someone else has. We always think we're better than someone else. It's never going to happen regardless of what God or entity you believe in. We're just pukes, okay? We're the worst <laughs> of the animal kingdom by far. This, that, and the other thing. Curse. I love it. Mr. O'Dizzle must be from... Uh, Pittsburgh or something, this, that, and the other thing. And that, right? And that, that's another Pittsburgh saying. But anyways, uh, or he's talking about Tim Meadows here, who is our, our, our the next person we're going to talk about. That's right. We got another cameo. Not that we just get Zeb via Steve Bloom. We also got this Colonel Tuttle uh, via Tim Meadows, a, a character actor that everyone knows about. I, I mean, he's he's been all over the place. Uh, was it was this guy on Saturday Night Live at some point in time? I mean, he is like in that comedy kind of. Yeah, I mean, genre. He, he was because he played the ladies' man on. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, and, it was and fun. That obviously <laughs> spun off into its own. Movie. But I mean, he he played this role perfectly. Like oh, you yeah. said, a, a yeah. great you know uh, military bureaucrat, just like eh, whatever. Middle, yep, middle manager man. I like he he puts in Greece video and he's like, oh, we're going to die. And he's like, OK, I've Turns seen enough. Off. Fuck it. I know what's going on. <laughs> we yeah, can't yeah. help. Um, but the other thing here, look at his drip. That's fucking Lando shit from Return of the Jedi, right? It looks like, like that, it. it that's looks the, very that's like the, uh, the 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 blouse like thing that Lando was wearing when he when he was general of the Rebel yeah. Alliance. So. And, and you know that that Lando like st- styled that himself. Like he wasn't going to take the standard uniform. No. He was like, no, yeah, no, so, no. So Colonel Tuttle's like, yo, I, I want I want what fucking Calrissian was whipping at the yeah. Battle of Endor. Don't don't give me this this basic bullshit. So, uh, yeah, he's got a little bit, you know, the silk underneath that, that <laughs> over blouse or it, it is, it's almost like a tunic. It, it looks like it is shut with his belt. Uh, but what, what, where he fails in comparison to Lando, he only has four dots. Lando was a motherfucking general. So right. eat it, Tuttle. <laughs> okay. Moving along. You heard me say it earlier and, and I do not think it was a mistake, but when grief cardboard was gifting the sect of land to the Mandalorians, he essentially said it's you get everything from the lava flats to Bullock Canyon. Yeah. And it was spelled B-U-L-L-O-C-H. I couldn't help but think that was a purposeful nod to Jeremy Bullock himself. The first ever Mando armor wearing Star Wars actor. Right. Uh, I do not think that was a a mistake. So nice little touch there by the writing team. I don't know if that was Dave that suggested the edit or John himself, uh, but I like that the bullet call out. Um, speaking of call outs and revisiting, I said it earlier, but we did get to go back to the children's original covert, the one that they had to abandon because they did uh, kind of pledge to help Din and Grogu get away from Grief's bounty hunters. Um, so that, that was a cool other dynamic, like the fact that Paz and the children agreed to go help Grief, who essentially was killing them in season one when Din was stealing Grogu away from the client. Uh, yeah. But now everyone, they're all friends. All they all live on, you know, Navarro <laughs> seems like it's going to be the new kind of home base for our, for the children, at least for the time being. So all is well and good. And then the last one here, and Nick, I don't know if you would have just picked this up because I know you're a bit of a Disney fan, but that little Ugnot pirate was 100% styled to look like Smee from Peter Pan. <laughs> oh. 
Captain oh Hook's God. little dude. I mean, look, he's got the white what and blue a... striped shirt. He's got yeah. the red bandana. And even like some of his interaction, he wasn't as pussy as Smee, but he was like kind of always to Gorian, like, come on, let's go. We got to do this. Yeah. And, and I was like, dude, th- this has to be an homage to fucking Smee. What a good call. What yeah. a good call. That's amazing. Look one, at that guy. one thing that I also saw was that Gorian Shard, if you, if you compare him, at least in shape, to Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs, it's almost like a one-to-one match. Obviously, Pizza the Hut is made out of pizza, and Gorian Shard is made out of what seems to be uh, seaweed, but very similar in terms of... Life. I mean, it, it's funny you bring that up, because if you look at Gorian when he's in the holo projector, yeah, he's a, he's like dead nuts onto a, a brute from Halo. Uh, yeah, like Atriox, yeah, but- like like the leader brute Atriox, who had a lot of you know gray hair and a bit of a beard. So uh-huh. when when Gorian is through the blue and you can't really tell that he has fucking seaweed hair, I I was getting some some Halo brute vibes in particular, yeah, yeah. like Atriox or awesome. one of the big one of the big leaders. Also a good um, call. So yeah, so good stuff there. So there there you go. We're not finished yet. I I got a few more haws possibly alien music. Oh, who wants to take bets that? Adelphi Squadron becomes the de facto Rogue Squadron, right? You, you can tell they're getting a little fed up sitting out there, not getting any missions, not being allowed to go on missions they want to. It, it just feels like, you know, with Zeb and, and, and Trapper and Carson that eventually they could become the Rogue Squadron. They're going to drop I, the Adelphi I also and go love rogue. how... Filoni and Favreau essentially just wrote it like wrote Adelphi Squadron should just be all of the people who work on the show. <laughs> it's yeah, like hell yeah. Adelphi yeah. Squadron <laughs> is 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 like you said, it's Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa. Like I'm sure like it would not surprise me if Favreau showed up in a fucking X-Wing at some point and was just like, hey, I'm fucking well, whatever. I think whoever. he gets he gets his cameo because he still voices Paz. His, so that, that's yeah, how John his, gets in. Yeah. I think the only one, the only recurring director who doesn't have her own character at this point is Bryce. Is Bryce, yeah. Bryce. And I think Bryce is going to be helming tomorrow's episode. I, okay. I think so. So, yeah, you're right. We, we could see Adelphi Squadron grow with a redheaded pilot or, you know, a commander, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, we got the Smee, Tying Pirates, Vane left it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, the only, it, it's just a silly one here. Um, I, I mean, I wrote this early before I saw the very end, but I was like, oh, Mandalorian's coming out. We'll force Gideon's hand. Well, sure, shit, that's going to happen. Um, but just a fun one here, and we'll move on to uh, predicting via a set leak. The um, You got to love when the... Um, Space monkeys were ratting out the pirates where they were <laughs> the at because the pi- monkey lizards. Yeah, yeah, because the 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 pirates were taking uh, pot <laughs> shots at them in their tree. So I, I yeah, like yeah. that. You can't trust those little fuckers. Now, now you know why Salacious Crumb was such a dickhead. I mean, you know, <laughs> trying to rip C three PO's eyes out and all that shit. All right. So before we get into predictions, Nick. I did want to bring up this old set leak because I think it will help inform definitely our, our, our wizardry here. And, and we talked about this back in September. This came from Bespin Bulletin, uh, but it was just, it, it was a video of Mandalorian season three filming. And you could clearly see that Bo-Katan was in it, didn't have her helmet on and she was fighting 
other Mandalorians. And one of the Mandalorians sure as shit look like Axe Woves. Yeah. And if you look closely, another one looks like Casca Reeves. And if you look even closer, Nick, and this is where I said we're going to revisit the, the stinger there. It looks like there's Imperial officers around, too. So that's why I was I was kind of putting it out there that. Uh, hold on, I won't even get there yet. <laughs> Tomorrow's prediction. It's going to be very Bo-Katan mission focused. And I do yeah. think we we see her. In that scene from the trailer where we see the gauntlet arriving on a green lush planet with domed cities. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a Mandalorian planet. I don't know if it's, if it's another part of Kalavala or another Mandalorian planet in that system. But, but we're going to get that scene. And that's her going probably to talk to Axe and Casca. And, and now that we know what we know from Episode 5... And that this leak shows her fighting, which seems Mandalorians, that also look like her former Night Owls. That's yeah. the reason why I was starting to lean into, could Casca and Axe have been hired by the Empire to get him, or did they go on their own uh, mission to get him out? Uh, you got to remember, Axe was missing from season two. He, had, he was doing something. What was he doing? Uh, so that, that's why I was saying, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we learn that Casca and Axe and, and their Merc-style Mandos that left Bo have started taking on jobs for the Empire. And, and that's why Bo is physically accosting them when yeah. she runs into them again. Because you wouldn't think that if she's trying to get them to join the Watch that she would start fisticuffs. Yeah, so, I mean, and the thing is, is like, it's that is kind of standard bounty hunter behavior, you know, like, um, well, so not even I mean, bounty. I, I mean, to me, Nick, and I don't know about you, but bounty hunters, one thing, a mercenary's completely different. Like a, like a bounty hunter, they're, they're truly out there for the pucks. Mercenaries, they'll do any job for cash. Kill like, you, I can, killing motherfuckers, like, stealing shit, killing kids, you name it. I know that like, that like the perception around bounty hunters has now changed because of Din and because Din has like this, this conscience and, and, you know, that, that's led him on the, the journey that we followed him, him on through the Mandalorian so far. But, like, if you look at the history of bounty hunters, they, they, that was kind of their MO, too. Is like, look, I'm here for the money, motherfucker. Like, you want me to, like, literally, Din went and kidnapped a kid for money. And then, like, the, the, the conscience hit him as soon as he turned him in. But, like, he didn't have, like... He had no qualms about it. He he kidnapped that kid, brought him all the way back to the client, and then and then no, at right. that moment you're it was right. Like, you're right. I mean, bounty hunters listen. They'll, they'll do anything for yeah, a they buck don't too. But it, but but they they had okay. Here here you go, Nick. They had a guild. So there's yes, at least had a guild. <laughs> some sort of there's like some sort of some legitimacy structure. behind it. Where yeah. where mercs are truly you're just you're a killer or something for hire. You you'll do dark dirty shit for cash. Yeah. So like I I'm. Like I would definitely say that that especially Axe is is definitely on the mercenary front. Um, Costco is going to be interesting because Costco was there helping right. on the siege of. But we, but we do Lafayette. know they abandoned Bo. I mean, she told they did. us like, they did. They, they left did me, and leave. they are now Mercs. Yeah, so it, it will be interesting to see like if Costco can be like talked off of the cliff essentially to be like, Hey man, like what are you doing here? Cause I feel like she could, she might be able to be reasoned with acts very different. Obviously in this video, we see 
straight up fighting between Axe yeah, and Yeah, I've been Bo. playing it on, your, on the stream, or you just go to StarWarsTime.net and search for Mandalorian Season 3 leaks, but... Yeah, um, it, you'll it, be able to see it. I mean, Bo and Bo and Axe are going at it, and like I said, it, it, towards the end, it almost looks like an Imperial officer comes up to almost break it up. So that's why we have this topic position here because I, I, I do think it informs tomorrow's episode. I, I really do think a, a a large part of Episode Six is going to be following Bo to this planet to reconcile, fight maybe convince her former night owls and other Mandalorians that it's time to retake Mandalore. Uh, I also, I, I, I believe Nick, I don't know about you. Maybe they're, they're saving them for the end, but episode six sounds like an episode where we may finally get the moth actually see him instead of just hearing about him. I'm not sure. I think they could maybe string him out for one more episode, but I, I feel like episode six would be a, a good debut. And also, I think this episode is going to cover how the New Republic and, and the people like Tava are processing the information about Gideon's escape. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that now that it is truly confirmed, like confirmed with visual confirmation that he has escaped, he, he thwarted getting to his trial, that like it would make sense to bring him in um, just, just in terms of his character. But I do think that they will wait for the ultimate like okay. clash between whether it be Bo and Din or the entire faction of Mandalorians and then uh Gideon and whatever Mandalorians so are. So are on you his thinking side. like like season one, Nick, where he literally doesn't come until the finale episode? See, I think Get- that I think that they will show him in the next probably either six or seven. I don't think that they're gonna hold him all the way till eight. Okay. And then eight may be like a literal like Mando Battle. versus Mando clash with like Gideon and his Mandos and then yeah. the armor okay. and Din and Bo and their Mandos and they just fucking fight Yeah, because we know the finale is going to contain some sort of ceremony with the Mandalorians. Who knows if that's at the beginning where they're like, all right, we're together and then shit hits the fan, the Empire comes at attack or if that's at the end. But yeah, I'm with you. I think I, I am. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the moth six or seven. But in general, I, I think tomorrow's episode, episode six, is going to be heavy on on Bo's journey. And I'm thinking here, well, then how are we going to keep Din in the mix? And Din could essentially be the the tool or or the device to loop us into the New Republic storyline through his relationship with Teva. Uh, that that's kind of how I think Din may be utilized in this episode because I I don't know how he comes into Bo's mission at all because I'm pretty sure she is on her own for this quest that the armor gave her. So Din, Din and Grogu are going to have to be doing something. And that's something to me, Nick is probably dealing with some of the new Republic fallout through his former contacts. Yeah. All right. But, I, but I do 100% we're going to get this argument between the Mandos and I think the episodes clocking around 43 minutes. So decent, decent runtime for some story to be told. All right. Indeed. I'm failing on my speed, but it's all right. Bad Batch will take some time. The other stuff we can whip through quick. So here we go. The Bad Batch Season 2 finale mega breakdown. I guess, Nick, go ahead while I'm thinking. Just just drop your thoughts on what you saw over those two episodes. Uh, my thoughts are uh, we were right. We we fucking nailed it. <laughs> like pretty in, pretty in close. Our, pretty close. Pretty damn yeah, like close we, again. We were pretty damn close. Um. I thought that I said that the last two episodes of this season needed to close out really strong. And I think it did. I think it closed out in, 
on an extreme high note. Um, I think that um, the the big moment, the sacrifice, as far as we know, because in Star Wars, nobody's ever oh, yeah. dead until you see their yep. fucking head chopped off on the ground. And, so, and goggles don't count either. <laughs> yeah, goggles don't count. This motherfucker could be on Mount... They could literally have taken his body... And if he wasn't dead, taking him to Mount Tantus for like all of the experimentation that Hemlock was talking about. Um, So, but that moment was so powerful. And I think it was a, it was a, it was a good death. I'll put it that way. Um, If there's one thing that, that any character should have in a show, especially like this, especially a character of the quality of tech, it is a good death. And I think that, that that's what tech got. Um, I think that the two episode finale was probably the best two episodes of the season. Um, and I think that where it left off puts us in a fantastic position to see where the, like to see how the batch responds to, um, the situation that they're in now with Omega being captured with Nala say, uh, you know, and Omega both on, uh, both on Mount Tantus and, and, and seeing what goes on from there and, and, and like seeing what they do. Cause now they're down a man. Like it's not even guaranteed that, that, uh, that echo stays with them. I assume that he will, but now you, you're not only down one man, you're down two, you're down tech and crosshair. So it's basically just wrecker and hunter out there. Omega's gone. And Sid acted, Sid betrayed you as we thought she would to the empire. Um, I think it was, the highest of high notes that this could have gone out on my favorite two episodes of the season. And it actually makes me excited for season three to come back around. There's a lot of people that fear there's not going to be another season. I I don't know why. I I don't know. Sometimes I think people are like, Hey, if I didn't like this, no one liked it. So it's getting canceled. But I, I I believe bad batches is here for a little bit. We're, we're, we're going to get another season. We're, we're, We're getting another season. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what else I could add to Nick's fantastic review. I mean, that I I feel pretty much the same way. I I think when these two episodes ended, the the season itself was mostly redeemed. I mean, there was definitely some some bummer episodes, nine ten, Pabu in particular. Those three really were kind of poopy, but ultimately these episodes and some of these moments were earned through tech's sacrifice. You got to remember this season spent a lot of time on, on tech and building him up as a, as more of a protocol droid. And, and that's why that moment hit. It, it was those time spent in the caves between him and Omega or the time spent with him and fee or, or, you know, the, the driving lesson, the episode prior, all that stuff is so purposeful now because of what happened to Tech in the actual final episode. And Nick is right. I mean, for a a Star Wars death, it's about as good as it gets. And I, I really, as much as I love Tech and would love to see him come back and, and get the hijinks going with the gang, Nick's 100% correct. It was, a, it was an earned death. I mean, if he was a Viking, he's going to fucking Valhalla. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it 100%. was, it's as perfect as it gets for a, a clone trooper. Uh, I, I can't think of a better way to go out than to sacrifice yourself for your friends. And, you know, fuck Saul Guerrero. You know, blame it on Saul. It's ultimately Saul's fault that this happened because of, you know, his obsession with doing anything he can to harm the Empire, even if it means he's fucking his own mission. All right. 
Screw you, Saul Guerrero. Screw you, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I mean, um, th- that just was, shows you, though, like that is the character of Saw. He's like, burn it to the ground. Oh, yeah. And if it doesn't get burned to the ground, he's, then he's got we did something severe wrong. damage. I mean, he is Mr. Mr. Emotional Damage. Thank you, guy. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the last thing here, and we'll, we'll get into the deep dive, is that ending was fucking brilliant. I, I love the fact that uh, they didn't take Omega right away and saved it for the last few minutes of, of the final episode and that we are left on a legit cliffhanger. I can't, I can't remember the last time I've watched a show and you're left in that, that shitty of a state. And by shitty of a state, I just mean emotionally as a fan. I mean, you just watched Tech Die. Sid sell out Omega, Hunter and Wrecker almost captured. Uh, they 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 get away, but they have no clue how to find Omega now because the, the the whole deal was was getting Hemlock's ship coordinates to figure out where they're going. So, uh, like I said in my review, that hey, if by the way, I always break these things down on Wednesday. YouTube.com Star Wars Time Show. Check them out, please. Like, comment, share, clip, all that fun stuff. Uh, and after that promo, I forget where I was going. So who cares? I have no idea what I was saying before I, I dropped that. that you promo. were saying that all of the info that we just gave you was available on YouTube already. Go yeah, but I, I had an idea before that. But oh, well, <laughs> good. And, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> just, just like Bango saying here. I mean, that that was Empire Strikes Back. Those two episodes channeled empire strikes back better than most star wars that has come out since oh yeah Uh, because the good guys lost like shit i mean they 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 lost 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 they they lost a fucking player he he wasn't just put in the concrete i mean he's he may or may not be dead but as of right now we're, we're, we're saying he's gone so man was not expecting that heavy of a bad batch ending but i appreciate that that the uh, the creatives went there. All right, so let's get into some of the top moments. I believe is how I have this organized, and we're starting with something that kind of threw us all. I think when we saw that episode fifteen was called the summit, it wasn't about a mountain. It was literally about Tarkin's summit. <laughs> so uh, he his summit does take a top moment because. Just like the Mandalorians talking in a cave, I could sit here and watch Imperials plan the death of the galaxy for hours on end. I mean, you understand, these people met to talk about how they can unify the galaxy essentially through force. I mean, look who's sitting around the table. Fucking Krennic's there, the dude building a Death Star. Then you got Hemlock, a mad scientist that's trying to figure out how to rework clones into some sort of uh you know war machine uh you had uh hell what's his name i know i wrote it down because he was in rogue one uh hearst ramadi is in there talking about you know clone rights and clone this and it, it was just uh, you know what i mean man I could, I could sit around and watch these people just be awful fascist yeah. for hours on end so uh that was my 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 first top just in just some of the the mentions that, that they were calling it galactic unification yeah um, their, their conversations on the clones and how even some of the imperial leaders are like yo but the clones were fucking great man and you know yeah, that, what, what, what about the senate like there was actual concern uh-huh. about the clones that that's what i was going to bring up is like that's such a huge that's such a huge little little 
ditty little scene to put in there. Like somebody literally said, like, did the clones agree to this? Right. And then Hemlock says, the clones don't have to agree to anything. They're our property. Like, so there are still people within the upper echelon of the Imperial superstructure that are like, hey man, clone, like, we got here because of clones. Like the only reason with, that we're right here right now is because of the clones. And the fact that we're already treating them like discarded pieces of waste is a little concerning. So to, to show that there is even division amongst how to treat and talk about the clones within the higher levels of the Imperial military is very interesting right now. So well, I, yeah, I really did. Dude, include, I mean, I, like, I forget like, if it was... Re- Ramadi or the, or Ramadi or the other one, but they literally say like, uh, what about an, an uprising? What about a potential clone uprising? I mean, if we're doing this shit to them, have, has anyone thought about them banding together? Cause that would be bad. I mean, the clones, we got to remember they're tangentially Mandalorian trained, right? They came from a Mandalorian's jizz and then he helped program their training. And I'm talking about yeah. Django Fett for yeah. those that, that uh, don't know. Be mad in the chat is asking where is Thrawn at this point? He's, he's still in the unknown he's, regions. Yeah. So like, I mean, at, at this point in the Imperial, I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say because we, we made a time jump when we got to Bad Batch of a year, right? Like it was, it was like a, like a bit of a time jump, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry, B Mad. We're no, talking like, right, about. Right. Yeah, I'm fucked up. All right, let me let me reorder. Now in Bad Batch, he's yeah, still Bad around. Batch. So yeah, Thrawn. Yeah. This this would have to be Nick because this would yeah. still be the the infancy the infancy of the Empire. So was he yeah. involved so, at that point? In the infancy of the Empire, the early days of the Empire, um, he was working on his Tie Defender project. Well, no, that was um, and, that and, was closer towards like the Rebels, Rebels era. But that was something that he was that he had been working on for a while, like getting okay. funding for and building the schematics and like the like essentially the proof point for the Tide Defender. So yeah, I guess um, that is a good point. Program. Why? I mean, apparently he wasn't high enough in rank. But, I mean, he's not even a commander to be sitting at this table talking about his defender. So yeah, and it's also like he was the Grand Admiral in the Imperial Navy. So what is going on? With like at the summit, like where all of these people are, isn't really like Imperial Navy type of dealings. Like this is more like, like, you know, obviously you have my, like Grand Moff Tarkin there who I don't believe has been given, been given no, the he, title he's of not, Grand Moff He's yet. not even grand yet. He's just, yeah, he's so just like regular this is, Moff. Yeah, he's still Moff Tarkin. But, but um, at the moment, Thrawn is either out in the like out in imperial space like patrolling and dealing with any like instances of uprising or there is a thread in the book where um during his time in the imperial military right before uh we get into rebels timeline he actually goes off into chiss space back into chiss space to help um the chiss deal with an imminent threat to their their um planet and the way that he justifies that is saying that, look, if this is a problem for the Chiss now, like the 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 encroaching issue of Grisk, of the Grisk into known space, the way that he is able to like essentially position himself to be able to do that, even while being an Imperial officer, is saying that if the Grisk 
like can take down the Chiss, they're going to be a problem for the Empire. And gotcha. and and the uh, the Emperor allows him to go do that. So he's either still in Imperial space, just like doing Imperial Navy shit and working on the Tide Defender program, or at this point he is off in like Chiss space, helping them deal with the 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 Grisk. Uh, incursion into their into their works uh, for me he he definitely wasn't invited to the summit with the rest and not that it would have mattered because in the end the the empire and the emperor they end up going with the death star anyways over the defender uh but it, it was just good scene i mean like i said galactic unification clone uprising we got the death star hints a project stardust drop uh cloning for the emperor i mean it's just it was great little insights into the emperor or, or the empire and, and how they were thinking at this stage of the star Wars timeline real quick. I want to focus on this thought from Connor in the chat. I, I dig it. So our boy Connor Terry saying it's mentioned at one point that tech recorded everything as a hobby. How would he record his goggles? So mm-hmm. is it possible they continued to record giving the batch some insight on hemlock? I think that's a I, very good theory. Yeah. Definitely so. Yeah. I mean, that could definitely be something that's I found. Like that. And if he it like like I positioned right when I said this, if he is still alive, which is very fucking possible, because as we know, if anybody falls down a hole in Star <laughs> Wars, if anybody f- like falls out of sight and you don't see them and they're assumed dead, they're almost assuredly still alive. Yeah, it'd be rough <laughs> because if you watch it, I mean, he's he falling falls, and that falls. cable car is falling after him meaning when he yeah. hits then the cable car is going to land on top of him so yeah. uh who knows if anything uh, but- it could like uh it could definitely give insight into like um i mean if if his goggles were recording the whole time which i assume tech was smart enough to just like turn them on record mode as he was falling um then they would definitely see like the aftermath of like when they find his body what they do with his body and what they, yeah. what happens with the goggles as they are dropped off to the batch on uh, at Sid's compound. So, all right. Well, continuing on with some top moments here, we um, saw showing up. That, that was kind of a surprise. I mean, that not definitely- once he showed up and you realize what he was doing. I was like, yeah, that that is definitely something Saul Guerrero would do. But I liked how they kept it mysterious for a while, Nick. How you know the Bad Batch? If you're a listener, you're like, hmm. It's weird that these sensors are already down. It's weird that these cameras are already off. So at one point, I'm like, does the Empire know that the Bad Batch is here and this is a big trap? But no, it was Saul got there a little bit before them to plant all those explosives. So it was good checking in with this guy. As Nick said, you know, he is still very partisan. He does not see the big picture. He only sees what's right in front of him. Uh, I, I, I... can't really argue with his logic i mean blowing up tarkin hemlock krennic ramadi and and the others probably would have been good and may have stalled the empire's growth for a bit but in the end in a fascist regime like that you always you always got next man up so you might have delayed the plans for a week maybe a month but there's there's always someone that wants Tarkin's job. There's always someone that wants Hemlock's job, and and the Emperor isn't gonna let you know roles remain vacant for too long. So, in the end, Saul probably had a pretty fucking stupid idea, and as we saw, it led to our next top moment. We've been talking about it, a rough one, but the death of Tech. I mean, you you gotta you gotta argue that it's it's Saul's actions. 
an inability to listen to the Bad Batch that that directly led to Tech having to die because they kind of had to get the hell out of Dodge once they were found out through Saul. And then once his bombs started blowing everything up, that's what charged the track and, and screwed everything. But we're here to talk about Deck, Deck, Tech, uh, but more importantly, because we already talked about it. I mean, it, it was a it was an earned death. It was great. The lines he said were fantastic. The way Wrecker played off of him was fantastic. Really kind of yeah. drove up the tension and in the feels there. You know, when do we ever listen to orders? It's fucking a fantastic final line. Like you said, I mean, just a a great heroic death. But more importantly, uh, seeing poor Omega's reaction to it. I mean, once again, Michelle Ong and, and her ability to kind of get the emotion out of this little animated girl was just brilliant and, and heartfelt and sad. I mean, through Omega, it, it only ratchets it up your own sadness for tech. And, uh, you know, it was rough to think about that this little girl, you know, she's now Echo has left her family this season and now tech has died in quotes. Uh, she's going through some shit. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just the, the whole scene was was beautiful death, if, if you can say that. Yeah, I mean, I, like like I said before, you really can't ask for a better type of death for the type of character that that heck was, you know, yeah. it was true, truly fantastic. And then last moment here, and it's more of a generalization, but I, I was thrilled with the cliffhanger end. I love it. As mm-hmm. Nick yeah. said. It gives you something to latch on to, right? I mean, season one ends and it, and it, it, it kind of felt like a complete ending, right? I mean, the, we all knew they were still alive. We knew the Bad Batch was alive. We knew Crosshair was alive. And it was like, all right, well, what's going to happen next? Now we know. I mean, just like the end of Empire Strikes Back, they got to deal with some heavy shit when they get back to, from season three. How, how are we going to find Omega? Who's going to go rescue her? Are more clones going to join the cause to go investigate Tantus now that they know that shit's going down with captured clones? And that, to me, is exciting. It, it feels like season three has a much more clear and defined roadmap than we had for season two. Definitely. Uh, so, I, so I dig that. And finally, the reason it made top. It once again showcased how amazing Nick and I are at speculating <laughs> Star Wars when it was revealed that Emery is indeed a clone. Yeah, I mean, we called that straight up. We, 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 we caught that little bit of a Kiwi accent there and we we're like, she's it. She's, she's a clone, 100%. Yeah, and, and, and the girl that acts her... Or, Axe her. What the fuck is voices, wrong with me? Voices her. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you better axe somebody. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Um, she even said, like, they told her to maintain her New Zealand accent for the role. She's like, I'm usually asked to get rid of that for any type of role, but they told her to maintain it. And, and, and I told you last week, that was the the dead giveaway that this lady's a clone. So real quick, Nick, let's get into a little bit of a, a tangent with Emery now that we know she's a confirmed clone, because she's quite interesting to me, considering that she is in leagues with a guy that is essentially experimenting on killing, torturing her brothers. Okay. So I, here's my take on her. And this goes back to some season one information. I believe she is the fifth enhanced clone that was talked about when they found Nala Say's secret lab. All right. Cause you got to remember echo is not an enhanced clone. 
he was a reg that was turned into a cyborg by the techno union. So we only have ever seen the four enhanced clones. Omega is not number five. Omega is not an enhanced clone. She is, she just like Boba Fett is a carbon copy of her father. Unaltered clone. Thank you. Remember when they said that in, in episode two, he's an unaltered clone. Yes. Where all the other ones were, were altered to either through accelerated growth, through it, behavioral type of things, or you have Clone Force 99 where they were literally tweaked to have almost superpowers. Yeah. So I, I'm putting it out there that Emery is the fifth enhanced clone that was created alongside Hunter, Crosshair, and Tech and Wrecker. That makes fun. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that <laughs> okay. definitely makes sense. And it seems like her enhancement may be similar to that of tax where it is like almost like a, like a soup. I don't want to say super intelligence, but like it is more of an intelligence based enhancement than it is like a combat based enhancement. Like we saw yeah. with, uh, with Wrecker and with Hunter. So um, what's your, what's your thoughts then? What's, what's her, what's her end game? Is, is she working with Hemlock because she wants to, does he know she's a clone? Is this like some, long-term sleeper cell type of shit going on that the, that the someone on Camino uh, did, you know, at this point, 10, 11 or yeah, like 12 years ago, 13 yeah, years mean, ago. I would, it would be interesting because one, we have to see, like, it's hard to know what kind of enhancements she has, right? Like, um, she could have accelerated aging, which means that she's the age that she is, or she could have well, been one she of She definitely, the f- I mean, all clones had the accelerated aging, but Omega and Boba. And, so and that, Boba. that's, that's yeah. for sure. I'm just, what I'm I, saying like, what's her motivation to be working with this fucking creep that's clearly doing horrible shit to others of her kind? You know what it, I mean? If is it, it is, if her enhancement is purely like scientific based intelligence, then like, I don't even think that she looks at, at, what she's doing as something wrong. Like she's, she's, she looks at what she's doing as, as experimentation, as scientific research for the betterment of her kind. Okay. You know, like almost yeah, I mean, the way that, that, that's one way. I, I mean, it, or she, this is all by design. Like she, she got yeah. in with him on purpose and obviously she knows just like any undercover person does that you're going to be witness to some heinous shit and may take part in some heinous shit. But in the end, it's it's worth it for the big picture because we, you know, last week with with or two weeks ago with the with the crosshair thing, you could tell she had some feeling for him beyond like a like a TK. She's like, dude, just don't struggle. I'm telling you, if you don't struggle, you won't have as much pain. Uh, he purposely didn't shoot her. She more she may have helped him get out to let them know. You know, she didn't really put up a fight or uh, send up any alarms before she got zapped. So I I don't know I. I, for one, don't think she is being nefarious. I'm thinking this is more of a a sleeper cell deal that she got herself into, and and we're going to figure out her endgame in season three. It could could be for sure. I mean, the only other way that I could think about it, if if she's not a sleeper cell, is that like she was made at the behest of Hemlock. Like Hemlock actually like, commissioned her to be made as yeah, when his he was assistant. still like a like a like a douchey scientist with the republic maybe that's what yeah. got him kicked out something like that yeah it, it, like he was probably like look i need a i need a scientific assistant i know that you guys can enhance clones yeah. so like make me a super super smart assistant and like 
That's the only other way. Yeah, that I yeah. Really I mean, I, I I I could see that too. So um, either way, I, I dug I dug the reveal just to get it. But the the big thing here is just all this open endedness. I love it. I love it. Some people want yeah, the closure. No. I'm okay with things remaining open as long as I know another season's coming and there will be closure at some point in time. I, I hate when a franchise is great. I get into it. And then some dickhead cancels it, and there's no true closure. But I'm all right with it with this cliffhanger. Okay, so let's let's check out some of the Easter eggs and all that fun stuff that we got in this episode. I mean, mostly references. <clears throat> Both Mando and Bad Batch have been kind of Easter egg light this season. But we'll start with a, a a fun one here for dorks like me or people. Yeah, that's right, fanboys. Uh, I you know. We got to return the ear you do. That was a planet first brought to life in, in Rogue One in live action. Now we get to see it in animated form. It was cool to learn that Tarkin had a fucking compound there to kind of hang out. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he was Moff of that planet or that system, but we we now know that that's where he set up shop. Uh, within this same scene, going back to their little summit, if you will, we got a, a Raxus mention, which is a yep. planet that has uh, popped up multiple times in the right. Star Raxus Wars Prime universe. comes up pretty often. Yeah. Yep. So that was a good one. How about our uh, technicians here sporting the old Death Star gunner helmet? And if you do go look that up, uh, on the Death Star, they're just, they're called Imperial technicians. So they are, that is a technician helmet, whether you are bl- shooting the Death Star's gun or just checking comms for a douchey lieutenant. Okay, this was a fun one, especially because he was voiced by the actual guy, but we get um, Commander Krennic. Okay, he's not director yet. And I, what was even more intriguing to me, Nick, is him and Tarkin seem like they're, they're still on a, a, they still have a working relationship yeah, I was and gonna that, say they, they they don't quite hate each other yet, unless they're just both hiding it very well. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you can you can tell that Tarkin probably hasn't stepped on Project Stardust too much yet. That, that's what I was gonna like, say. It's he hasn't realized the value yeah, of it yet <laughs> that he yeah. wants to steal it. So yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it was cool watching these two together. Uh, if Bango, if you're talking about Iriadu, we saw that in Rogue One, uh, but the compound, for the most part, was new for animation. Um, but but sticking with this this summit here, all right, we had Krennic there. Ben Mendelsohn actually voiced him. It's always sweet when they can actually get the actors to come back and do it. Uh, but within this same scene, we had Hearst Ramadi or Ramadi who goes all the way back to A New Hope. He's in that conference scene where Vader's choking motherfuckers out. Uh, he, he got more time in the spotlight in Rogue One, and here he is getting some um, animation action going. And not to be left out, Saul was a, also there. So all sorts of fun references on do. And then last but not least, those walkers that were on Ord Mantell... Those have to be early models of the ATST, the the chicken yeah. runner. You know, one hundred percent. Yeah, it, like similar design with the two legs. Obviously, the the compartment or the, I guess we'd say the pilot seat or whatever is is yeah, a lot different. Dude, but this the, is it, it looks like they version. took like a troop transport front 
chopped it off and then slapped <laughs> it on as the the chicken walker's head. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but but it, they, you could tell. I mean, they put the the sounds in there. They really wanted to reference the walker. Therefore, it made the list. All right. So that's the bad batch for you. Let me let me make sure that Nick and I covered all the. The good stuff. Awkward tech around Fee saying the goodbye. That that that's a death flag right there. I'm surprised. Yeah. yeah. We we didn't we didn't figure that out. But that anytime you have two characters that may love each other talk before a big mission, the character's dead. I mean, other death flags uh, tech has had. Just all the spotlight he's gotten, all the character growth. Those are death flags, and we missed them all. Uh, TK's in the red with the clone pauldron. I, I, I dug that. So there were TK shock troopers. That was cool to see. Uh, we talked about that. Hemlock experimenting clones. We got that shit. Tech actually gone. Oh, for all you people that still like Scorch, fuck that guy. All right? Scor- <laughs> Scorch is a cocksucker. All right? Boo him. Let's get a big boo or, or something. Yeah, a big nope. Nope for Scorch. He's a jerk. <laughs> Um, oh, Nala Say just straight up said Palpatine's plan for cloning is impossible. So that, that pretty much yeah. proves that he's, he's more than likely trying to create force users or a vessel for himself. She doesn't believe it can happen. Emery confirmed clone. All right. So I think we punch out the, uh, the Bad Batch finale there, my friends. Uh, next week, we'll probably do like a, a final goodbye, kind of like we did with Andor, you know, top moments, top good and top bad moments, something like that. I'll give Nick some homework. <laughs> um, all right. So we got a, um, a quick little rumor report from our buddy over at makingstarwars.net, Jason Ward. Uh, this is, I would say, a light rumor for Ahsoka, but just want to get that uh, spoiler out there at this point in time. That's what I need. I need a sound drop that says spoiler alert. Spoiler I I actually, alert. I actually think I used to have an old one from my Entertainment Buddha days when I, when I made more videos. So I guess we'll, we'll just use Chewy. There you go. So, spoiler alert for Ahsoka. Here we go. But according to Making Star Wars, we're going to see some red lightsabers in the Ahsoka series. And they belong to um, two characters we've talked about in the past from Making Star Wars leaks. So, those characters are none other than Balin, who is being played by Ray Stevenson, a huge dude, six foot three. And Ray Stevenson played one of the body doubles, right? As uh, as one of uh, Vader's body doubles. But anyway, I, I, I don't know. Um, but we also have Shin, who was described as being kind of his quasi apprentice. And if you've never been here before, I'll, I'll give you the quick rundown. But essentially, Balon and Shin. Balon is someone that supposedly survived Order sixty six, but over time, kind of got fucked up. You know, let let the dark side creep in a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of took on Shin as an apprentice. And, and they're apparently in the known galaxy, uh, but they're going to go with Morgan Elsbeth to try and find Thrawn. And apparently Thrawn and Balin have some sort of tie previously. Here, here, that- here's a note. OK. Ray Stevenson voiced Gar Saxon in Clone okay. Wars. All right. Yeah, that that's his connection. That's right. Yes, that's right. He was not well, Vader. He he voiced Gar Saxon in Rebels and in Clone Wars. Well, we know for Ahsoka and the Mandoverse, Gar's fucking Gar's, dead. So yeah, he's he, dead. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we got this Balon and Shin characters. They seem to be force infused, but they're not good guys. Okay, they yeah. they they want to go with the with this uh, 
Night Sister, the witch Morgan Elsbeth, to find Thrawn. Okay, and uh, the reason they want to go, like I said, Jason over at Making Star Wars believes that Balon and Thrawn have some sort of past connection. Uh, either Thrawn helped Balon survive because Thrawn knew in the end he would be helpful for his grand plans, something like that. All right. So, anyways. These are the two characters that are going to be wielding red lightsabers, but they're not just going to be your basic, nice, finely tuned Darth Vader or, you know, Sheev Palpatine red lightsabers. In fact, and I, I think this is going to be rad, uh, Jason describes Balin's lightsaber as looking like a claymore, and it's going to have... The chaos fury to it, like Kylo Ren's. Like Kylo's. Like- yeah, and apparently, like Kylo, and this is going to piss off our boy Nicolard. When Balon wields his red claymore saber, it's like swinging a a broadsword, like a sl- like fucking Cal. Claymore. Yeah, Cal Kestis. That, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It, it, like Jason describes when this dude is on screen swinging it, it is with purpose and we will be able to feel the weight and power of it as he is fucking people up. So if you don't know what a claymore looks like, here's a, a shot of an old Scottish claymore. I mean, it's like your, your traditional sword, right? It's got the, the hilt, a, a pretty thick blade that eventually levels out. So it's not like a full broadsword. But if you're on the stream and you can envision this thing as a red chaos blade, that's going to look fucking awesome. All right. Yeah, it will. He then, he then says Shin, her red lightsaber is going to be more like a rapier. So if you don't know what a, a, a rapier is, it's not some creepy motherfucker out there that's doing awful things to people. It, it almost looks like a fencing saber. It's okay? the Zoro sword. Exactly. Nick is 100% correct. So it, it's a very thin sword, but it allows for, you know, fast, precise movements. So Shin's fighting style is described as being very fast and, and precise. And Jason's saying, like, when these two are together fighting, they're, they're like the Tasmanian devil. They're, it's a formidable pair of force users with laser swords because of how different their styles are. He's power... She's speed and precision. So I, I think this is going to be pretty fucking rad to see play out if it comes true. And if it's coming from MSW, it's got like a 95% chance of being true. So uh, I'm going with it. And, and like you said, there, there's going to be some big battles between these factions. You know, Sabine whipping Ezra's green lightsaber, Ahsoka with her red lightsabers. Shin and Balon with their, you know, their Claymore and Rapier red lightsabers. And then, if everyone forgets, our boy Ezra is going to be out there with some form of, you know, Star Wars Kung Fu. Yep. I mean, come on, the visuals here and the ideas are fantastic. Be mad you're right. Um, I, I looked at, there's a bunch of <laughs> Fallen Order or whatever the fuck the game's called now. Gameplay came out because the preview period's up and... It still doesn't pull me in at all. I'm, I'm going to get the game. I, I'm hopefully going to beat Hogwarts before it comes out towards the end of April, but I'm sorry, Cal Kestis just does not do it for me at all. They're like, oh, look at this story trail. I'm like, what? What story? Who cares? It's fucking Milktoast Boy. Gives a shit. All right. So that's cool. Be prepared for some radical-looking red lightsabers in Ahsoka. And at this point in time... 
Ahsoka 100% is not coming out when I thought so. I mean, it, it, it's more than likely going to fill the Andor slot. The slot. <laughs> All right. One other little hey. quick one, then we'll, we'll punch out with the fan segment here. Uh, but this is a fun one. I, I Oh, Ahsoka rumor also. I didn't post it yet because I was feeling lazy, but a, a Lego set has been revealed for release this September, which should be around the Ahsoka release. And guess what it is, Nick? It's the ghost. And nice. with it, within the play set is Jason Sindula. So really? Wow. You, you, better, you, you better prepare for him showing up in Ahsoka too, because that's more than likely going to be for the Ahsoka series. And another character that I'm, in, I'm excited for if this is actually set for the Ahsoka series, it's not so much Jason Sindula. It's Quarry's going to be in there. And most of you are probably going, who the fuck is that? But if you go back to like Freemaker Adventures and shit, Quarry is this, he's a, he's a Mon Cal. He's like the, the Rebels, um, what do you call people that design ships? Shipwright? No, is that, that's yeah, playwright. Shipwright, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, sh- Shipwright, I think is, is probably, close. I'm not yeah, sure. I don't whatever. Know, he, <laughs> he, he essentially builds a lot of the, he, during the rebellion, he, he built some of their cool ships. Okay. And, Naval and he, engineer would probably the, be. All right, the, the, there, there the you core. go. But, but Corey in there. So Corey and Jason Sandola in a, September release Ghost Lego box, which is more than likely tied to Ahsoka. So, good chance those those people show up. I mean, um, Jason Sindola would be a big one, Mister Green Hair himself. Yeah. Uh, but here's a fun one. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it because there's really nothing to speculate. But a, a new report came out. Bestman Bulletin covered it because we're lazy. Uh, but according to this outlet over in Spain, where some Andor season two uh, shoots are taking place. They are reporting that they have seen Andy Circus in the actor's village on the sets. Uh, sure, he could just be visiting, but probably not. So there is a chance, just like with Frodo, that Kino Loy lives. Confirmation as- about what I said in Andor that he will be used to make the Snoke body. Confirm. <laughs> Nick, yeah, Nick's going with this. This is going to play out right into everyone's Snoke theories. But yeah, I mean, right. hey, listen, just like we said with tech, we never saw a body. So Kino 100% could be alive in the Star Wars universe. All right, here we go. Little behind. It's all right. We're at the fan segment. We can get through this. We do it every week. Question of the week is one way to get in. You just got to check Tuesday on Instagram at Star Wars Time Show. Check the stories. Check the profile. Read the question and reply. If Instagram's not letting you do that, go ahead and make yourself a little reminder to check every Tuesday because I'll tell you what, this week, no one replied, but we're still going to do it. So let's go ahead and, and get things switched up for question of the week, and then we'll do top five. All right. That's not the right button. What do I need for question of the week? That's right. We need you. Slack. The there we go. Slack. Go away, browser. Okay. So what oh, was your favorite right. or least favorite part from The Mandalorian, The Pirate, and or The Bad Batch Season 2 finale? Leave a comment. 
So uh, what do we got? We got some quick ones to start. I know that for a fact. And I'll, I'll let you do the block. Here's our, our boy Spa Spa Spencer. Favorite moments from Bad Batch. The weird trooper explosion scream at Tarkin's base. That sound mm. was mad distorted. The Omega POV after the cable car crash was really cool. They should do more of those. Yeah, remember they did one in season one with Hunter after Cad shot him in the face. The music was also amazing. Thank you, Spencer. I'm surprised no Mandalorian thoughts. Here's a great one from Rippick underscore underscore tan. Zeb! All right. Thank you, Rippick. And there you go, Nick. You got the block. <laughs> I got the block. So first up in the block is TBS Data Vault. He says, my favorite part was watching Captain Broccoli Beard and Mr. Smee bite the big one. Glad I don't <laughs> have to see him shard all over the screen ever again. Seriously, though, I really enjoyed seeing Carson Tiva sleuthing around. He's such a great character. And of course, seeing the big purple Lasat was very surprising and satisfying. Amen. Uh, so big fan of the Mandalorian uh, there with TBS Data Vault. Next up, 2797 Studios. He says Mando was pretty cool this week. Lots of great stuff. Pirate battles, Mando strike teams, and more and Zelens. The whole bow story is really taken front and center this season. Bad Batch was a good finale too. Tech isn't dead. Nobody equals uh, no body equals future return. This is the way. And then Scion XCC says the battle between Mandalorians and the pirates had some good scenes. Definitely some inspiration for the toy photography community. One takeaway from the battle scenes was the inexperience of the covert working together as a team in a live combat situation. They all seemed to get overwhelmed really quick until Paz came in. Very true. Paz came in with his big gun and then everybody felt very safe. So uh, good stuff there. Thank you all for your responses. All right. So now it is time for this week's top five Star Wars fan artist features. Let me hit all these damn buttons I got now. You know, I try to make life easier on myself, and I just think it makes it worse. Hey, look who's <laughs> here, the birthday girl. You're back from your big dinner, huh? Yep. You can tell everyone how old you are now? Seven. 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 No. <laughs> no. That's my Beth Darth Vader impression, what do you think? I almost say all of my dinner from Brielle. Excellent. All right, well, I'm almost done. Then we can come up and finish the celebration, all right? Excellent. See you, little buddy. All right, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and turn on notifications, my friends. So let's get our browser window back up. You know what? I think they like it in full screen, so we'll go ahead and do that as well. And it's time to talk some Star Wars art. That's right. right. You know how this works. We're on Instagram at Star Wars Time Show. Add tag is the key. Star Wars Time Show, then use hashtag Star Wars Time Show. While well, featured throughout the week, Nick picks the five, which we're about to talk about right now. Right now. First off in the top five this week is at Fote, P-H-O-T dot toys on Instagram. And he gives us a shot of a very, uh, very seldomly seen character in the toy photography community, at least from my side. And that is Miss Asajj Ventress. Uh, this is probably the most badass Ventress shot I've ever seen. I don't know if this is like a it's custom a, it's fit. A, it's a statue. So S statue yes, statues. They're they're always molded into great poses. So you don't ever have to worry yeah. about doing that. Exactly. So Fote.toys took this statue, put it behind or put it in front of an awesome background, gave it some sweet ass lightsaber effects, and made Ventress look like the true badass. 
uh, Night Sister that she is. Uh, cape a flowing, standing on top of the skull of a fallen creature of some sort. Just a truly, truly badass shot. Yeah, I mean, dude, a fantastic shot. Great character. In fact, a character that I wish didn't have her story put to bed in a fucking book. So yeah. it's a shame. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can retcon that shit and get her back into uh, some live action Mando verse. Who knows? But yeah, good stuff there from at P-H-O-T dot toys. Nice. Nice. Next up in the top five <laughs> is at Morpheus Visions. And as Matt says in the in the uh, caption for this photo, the arcade series continues. And what I <laughs> love about this arcade series and this shot in particular is just the depth of detail that Morpheus Visions fits in here. The mini arcade cabinets seeing uh, all. So what we see is uh, our good friend Wicket sitting down on an arcade stool with his little yeah, buddy Grogu. <laughs> and they're both eating cotton candy and Wicket seems to have gotten it all over himself. Um, and then on the, the little desk next to them, actually, that's yeah. not a desk. I think that's one of those like tiny little, uh, it's, or, a, like, it's those a flat, it's a hollow table. Like, yeah, like, those flat can, hollow tables, yeah. uh, uh, is a little poured right next to a couple cans of Coca-Cola and in the background <laughs> is daddy Din. Trying, trying to get his to get quarters, his quarters back. back out of the, of the arcade uh, machine next to him. So, yeah. Uh, just incredible depth of detail here from Morpheus Vision. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I still like I, I I don't know if Morpheus does BTS or not, but I got to see this arcade dio because I think everything is fucking practical. Like, I, I think he's got little one six scale tall arcade machines in here, stools, cans. But it is it, it, it's the Ewok and Grogu <laughs> eating cotton candy and wicket's got the shit all stuck into his fur it's just, it's it's beautiful yeah no it's fantastic stuff from uh from at morpheus visions on instagram uh next up is a piece of real ass paint from at j scott underscore inc uh right. first time feature on here and this is just an awesome ink Draw, I mean, you know, ink drawing as his name suggests. <laughs> yeah, see, you, you can tell we are well versed in real art Illustr- terms. This illustration. Is well, this is a well ink drawing. <laughs> yeah, well, a well drawn piece of ink illustration. There's some from good looking shit and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and what we see is a contingent of mud troopers that are on. Oh man, what's the name of that planet from fucking Mim- Solo? Mimban. 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 Mud troopers on Mimban in the middle of a rainstorm all lined up, maybe going towards an assault or maybe just holding their position on the planet. But it, it is like a very cool drawing here from Jay Scotting. Yeah, 100%. It, it kicks ass. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. The, these people have force powers to us. I mean, so do you, you, you toy photographers, but the fact that I can do that a little bit, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, level sets where I, I look yeah. at this stuff and these people are magicians. It, it just makes no sense that... Someone could take a blank digital screen or a piece of paper and then create bodies that actually look like bodies and not stick figures. Because that those are that's where my level is still at. Exactly, it's just incredible, incredible talent there from Jay Scott Inc. Uh, next up in the top five, we have at Mothraphobia. Yeah, this is and a this good is one. I. It's not quite a scene recreation, but it is almost like a scene extension from episode go. four. And and what we see is the assaults on the Tantive Four when the Empire 
alongside or the stormtroopers alongside Darth Vader bust into the Tantive Four, take down all of the rebel troopers that are in the hallway. And uh, this is a scene that we didn't see is Vader force choking one of the surviving rebel officers against a wall trying to interrogate him. And uh, I'm guessing this guy did not give up any info, but it's just such a stark uh, stark representation of Vader's power there on the Tantive. Yeah, it's like, you know, after he killed uh, Antilles, he's like, you know what, that was kind of fun. I line all these assholes up in those goofy white helmets and just, I'm going to kill them all by force choking them up to the ceiling. So it is, it's a great shot of Vader doing what Vader does, and that's ruining people's days and lives. Yes, indeed. All right, last up in the top five is our good buddy at Kill Cutter Photo. And with a shot like this, it's hard not to make the top five. A very poignant uh, zoomed out look at the death of Han Solo at the hands of his son, Kylo Ren, a.k.a. Ben Solo. Uh, the, falling into the chasm as Kylo stands there, helmet off, lightsaber ignited. And this beautiful kind of blue and red smoke in the background really kind of puts into perspective the leap that that Kylo made by killing his father. Yeah, so. I, I, that, that's what stood out to me, Nick, is just I, I love the perspective of the shot that it's that's it's this pulled out and it's not what we got from the movie where, where you know, you, it's kind of an up close shot. And then you see Han falling from a bird's eye view. Uh, I just I, I think the perspective kill cutter chose here just makes that moment hit. You can see it is. It's like the son fully separating from his father. It's 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 almost symbolic to me. Yeah. If I was smarter, I probably could say better and more effusive words about it, but I'm not. So we'll just say we think it looks good. It looked good. Good job. Me like cutter photo. Uh, <laughs> We like it a lot. Um, well, that is the end of the top five, and that's the end of our show for this week. So, uh, Matt, close us out. That's right, my friends. Appreciate you all. You know how we do it here. Every Tuesday, got some new names in the stream. So, uh, Lord of Thane, SW, welcome. Fought Toys, welcome. Be Mad, welcome. We love seeing new faces and the interaction going on here. So, keep it up. Tell a friend, Mr. Odizzle28, tell a friend. You never know who else will enjoy spending some time with the Star Wars Time Show. And if they don't want to look at our stupid faces, just tell them to go to StarWarsTime.net, and that way they can find all of our podcast platforms that they can sub to. The important thing here to do before we leave you is, if you are watching a stream and you haven't done it yet, make sure to like it and leave a comment if you can. Maybe snip something that we said and share it on your own page. We would love that as well. If you are just a podcast listener, what you can do for us is leave ratings and reviews. It's very important. So even if you just like the live stream, sub up on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora. Leave a little rating and review because it goes a long way for our two dumbasses. You know what I mean? So let, let's get... Thank you. Thank you. I know we're awesome. But we need you to leave ratings and reviews because there's always time for Star Wars time. All right. There's always time for Star Wars time. And if you listen to the Star Wars time show, the force will be with you. Always. Always.